Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, everybody, we want to take a second to talk to you about an amazing sponsor. We have an amazing relationship with RayAllen.com. Ray Allen is a one-stop shop for everything dog, not just working dogs. Everything dog that you need, you can go down there, check them out, RayAllen.com. Awesome people. They got everything you need. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with a dog trip. They've been with us from the start. Uh, great collars, great ball poppers, great GPS tracking, big dog, small dog, bark collars, everything. I got everything like that they have at the kennel. We use it every day. Be sure to head them up, dogtrip.com. Listen for the discount code later in the episode. Hey, guys, it's going to happen. August 16th through the 19th, HITS is coming back. The HITS Canine Conference in Orlando, Florida, August 16th through the 19th. Get on there. It's the biggest, the best. Check it out. Hitscanine.net. Hitscanine.net. Get registered now. Take the guesswork out of making sure you're feeding your working dog correctly by using Kinetic Dog Food. Hit them up at kineticdogfood.com and look them up on the Instagrams at kineticdogfood. Take all the guesswork out and do it right from the beginning. We love Horizon Structures. Dude, this stuff is so awesome, man. You can get online. You can talk to them. You could build it. You want from mild to wild. They'll come bring it to your place, set it down on your pad, hook up your power, hook up your water, and you can put dogs in it that day. If you don't believe me, check out some guys like uh, Justin Rigney. He's got a great setup there. Ask him. Check him out. Horizonstructures.com. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Uh, I am uh, Ted Summers from a seasonably warm Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> With me, as always, from Canton, Ohio, is Eric Stambro. Eric, uh, I guess winter's there. <laughs> yeah, you know, the worst part of Ohio winter is I, I don't even mind the snow. It's it's 40, probably right now, 45, and it's raining. It's this, this continuous rain that will rain uh, for... Hours and hours and hours. And it's not a downpour. It's just an annoying, just above a drizzle. It's the worst part of winter. The absolute worst part. Um, So, but luckily for me, the fun house is heated and dry and been having fun. We, um, so, you know, I, I have a lot of search and rescue handlers that come and use the fun house because, you know, and I typically don't even charge them because, all these dudes and ladies are doing this on their own time, right? Oh yeah. Everything, and rescue handlers their own like, dime, their yeah. own time. They're, they're looking for places and, and then I'm helping them with a little bit, you know, cleaning right. up a couple things on their finals and stuff with their dogs. But, um, and then just showing them some different stuff. And yesterday, uh, the one guy, he's coming back tomorrow had, uh, we had a hand to hide and, um, a what yeah, you had a, what? a hand, a human hand. He goes, yeah, I got a big, I got a, a small one. Cause I said, give me a little bit of odor. We're going to work some, we, we wanted to work a little bit focused. A little on, bit a of odor. One. Was it a baby hand? No, no, no. That was oh, just, a, they had a jar fuck. of something. I don't know what Gross. tissue or whatever. And then he goes, I have a big hide. I go, what is it? It's a hand. Oh, and, and the, and the other train, the other hand was, oh, you brought the hand. I'm like, oh my God, that fucking hand. So <laughs> I, I was like, look. Uh, I don't want to hide the hand in the building because when anytime they're there and there's they use HR in the in the building, it's a couple days to air it out. So we did and some. It's stuff already out. haunted as fuck. There's already yeah. a gravestone in the basement. Don't forget your hand there. There's enough shit going on. So uh, <laughs> we did. I took him out. We went. Uh, one of the dogs was a tracking dog. A couple of them were trailing dogs. We went and worked on some of that. But what I did with them was uh, we put the hand. <laughs> I fucking hate saying that, but we took the hand and we stuck it over 
off to the side. So, so where it was at, there was a wind, a crosswind going right from say, if you're thinking left to right. And, um, what I, one of the things with the one guy's dog was his starts because search and rescue handlers and, and a lot of cop handlers, they have this whole rigid, um, system at the beginning of bring the dog yeah, out yeah. down put this collar that whatever some dogs i find that just shoots them through the moon it's too much oh, yeah <laughs> so you got to change it up a little bit so yep. i said all we're going to do is you're going to go from six o'clock to twelve o'clock the wind is going from nine to three where the odor is pushing it sideways you're just going to come out with your dog just on a long line let them walk and sniff all this area and they're going to get a whiff of this hand that they didn't, you didn't say anything and head snap and drag you over to it. And baby, right. And, um, it worked out really well. I said, now what's going to happen is you do this a few times. Every time you come out of your vehicle, the dog's going to start looking for work rather than wait, needing this whole big buildup that sets him to where the, when you tell him to search, he's gone hundred miles an hour, you know, or, he, this particular dog whines and gets him as a shepherd, gets himself all built up and spilled over. So it worked out really well. They liked it. I said, it's just something to add in there every once in a while. And, you know, um, I showed him how I do tracking where we uh, might put the harness on the dog, we put him back in the truck and then bring him out and let him just start hunting rather than the whole, take him over, lay him down, put a harness on him and start like that. Um, I, I find for some dogs, our human OCD is a little bit too much for them. So yeah, it's they, been have fun. Own, they have their own OCD. Yeah. Yeah. They don't need ours. <laughs> no, no, they don't. No. So they, what's going on in Tulsa? Uh, I showed up today early this morning. And uh, so when we took possession of this building, there was like an 85 foot tree that looked like it was, uh, that looked like there should have been like witches hanging from it. It was creepy. Right. So a huge tree. So they cut it down and they had a stump there. But anyway, we're going to be ready to strip all the yard down and put a bunch of concrete inside outside for the um, working dogs. And uh, there is still a stump. Well, the stump like kept growing. So my landlord shows up today with a backhoe and a bulldozer. And I show up and it looks like there's a fucking car bomb that went off of my front yard. And they're pulling this stump out. And I mean, it was massive. I mean, it was the size of my Pathfinder, my Nissan Pathfinder. It was huge. And I was like, all right, well, I mean, then... They had it filled back in and then they retrenched it. So we have a like a big sign out in front of the building that they ran power to today. So they dug this huge trench. And my intern, Kevin, is a great dude, but he wasn't paying attention. And lights aren't on out there. And he's walking around out there with a sharp hayward training. And both of them motherfuckers fell into the trench. Just, I mean, just disappeared. I mean, it's just deep. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, you'll be all right. Okay, you're fine. You'll be all right. How's the dog? <laughs> yeah but right uh before we start recording i got three dogs coming in from holland next week uh assuming that uh omicron doesn't doesn't shut us down we finally entered the phase of uh covid where everything sounds like a transformer so hopefully the transformer variant doesn't shut us down before we can get the dog shipped and we'll see so i got uh two duels and a single coming in and i've already got two duels that we're tracking if you're on instagram today it would have been December 1st, like you would have seen. I was out tracking with the two patrol dogs this morning um, in the unseasonably warm weather. <laughs> that you're not, it was 75 degrees mm-hmm. today and sunny, no wind. It was awesome. Uh, yeah. So, uh, who do we have going? What are we going on tonight? 
So tonight we have um, we have a guest on. Um, again, this will be our in the last out of the last three. The second one is uh, currently a handler. We wanted to really try to get into guys that were uh, still handling and doing training and working dogs every day on the street. Um, and uh, I just happened to be having a conversation with our friend uh, Justin Rigney. He's like, "Hey, you got to have this guy Todd on." And I knew who he was. Um, we had talked a couple years ago. And um, he's related to a good friend of ours and we have, you know, a lot of mutual friends. So um, we, I, we jumped on it real quick to get him on because uh, we want to talk about um, a building searches as part of this and something we haven't really had an episode where a whole segment of it was uh, specifically about building searches. So that's pretty, that's pretty cool. I see on a lot of the uh, online forums and stuff, a lot of people ask questions about building searches. Yeah. Um, uh, the tactical stuff or why does my dog run to just take off running and always go to the end of the hallway and just little things. And um, the thing you just mentioned about the fucking police do- or about yeah. the search and rescue dogs. Like how many people's dogs freak out when you say random police can I make yourself known? I'm dog. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and there's just a lot of this, um, like anything and, and we'll talk to Todd and he'll get into it. Um, the systems, if you're, if you're a thinker in, in canine and you're trying to get better at all the time, you're going to come up with training solutions and training techniques and handling techniques based off of successes and failures, things that work, things that don't work, things that work for you that might not work for others, but um, what have you seen that worked? So um, we brought him on Todd. He is uh, from East Hartford, Connecticut PD. Uh, It's a very busy, that whole area over there is busy. It's a lot like my, uh, my agency in Canton Um, kind of a, uh, just a hotbed of, crime there's a lot of that on the east coast man a lot and um so he's uh currently handler's got he's uh on a second dog we'll get into that a little bit uh very busy uh place over there he'll be teaching at blue line this year so welcome todd mona todd how are you buddy good thank you very much for having me appreciate it yeah thanks for coming on man that's a uh i'm gonna read off a couple things but that is a shitload of awards in the back there you look like uh like some Heisman trophy winners house, like, <laughs> like every, everything in the back. I like it. Um, so over in East, East Hartford, you guys have um, a lot of you guys do, of course, all the, all the work on the street, but you also do a lot of competition and there's a lot of recognition and a lot of pride taken in, which takes a lot of time. Let's get into a little bit, talk about your history from getting on the police department and, where you're at and we'll talk about um your first dog and who you're currently working sure so i got hired at uh 21 right out of college and uh i went to school up in boston and i i thought i was gonna get hired up there and start taking some tests up there and i got hired pretty much uh really quick with east hartford and east hartford i knew nothing about police work uh before going to college but i I did know that the only thing about East Hartford was their canine program. And, uh, so I was like, Oh, I got hired there, you know? And, and that's kind of what I wanted to do back in 2002. And I had done an internship with the Connecticut state police. So I'd spent some time with their canine Academy and I was like, yeah, I could see myself doing that. Totally. Um, 2006 dog came up in my agency. There was like 20 of us that tried out for it. And, uh, I had been doing a couple things to uh to weasel my way into the unit which it's uh if there's anybody out there listening 
that's what you got to do. If you really want something, you got to weasel your way and you got to annoy the guys. Be like, hey, can I run you a track? You know, can I take some bites? Do what you do to kind of get involved so that before you ever have the opportunity to try out for a dog or get a dog, you have a basic understanding of it and you're committed. You know, you're going to be committed um, to what's involved because I think uh, a lot of guys, especially nowadays, right? You know, we, now with Instagram and, you know, TikTok and all this other shit out there. I mean, you know, swipe, swipe, fuck, swipe, swipe, fuck, you know, all that shit. Like mm-hmm. now you could just, you get the instant fame and there was no real going out and earning it and, you know, making sure like it was for what you wanted to do. And I think the social media has maybe pulled in a lot of candidates that aren't necessarily true. At least that's what we're seeing up in, in our neck of the woods. So get yourself involved. I did, you know, I watched guys' dogs when they went on vacation um, I developed part of our policy where I was like, uh, going out of town with the guys. So if we got called to a neighboring jurisdiction, boom, I'd be there, run a track them as their backup. We had a couple instances where our guys ended up by themselves on gun calls because the other town couldn't keep up. Uh, and there's no radio communication, you know, we're Connecticut's all these little small towns, uh, old new England style. Right. But you would think we'd be able to communicate with each other with the town neighboring you, but we can't. It's like you're on your own little island. So, um, so yeah, I'd, I'd done some things, um, help those guys train whenever I could. And dog came up in 06, tried out, came out number one, got the dog. Um, and I've been, I feel like I've been rocking and rolling ever since, man. I just kind of a nerd for this stuff, live, live and breathe it. Um, it's just the way I am, I guess. So, I'll tell you this, when you tried out, um, how many uh, dogs did you guys have at the time on the unit? We actually went up to four for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm in like 140 agency, I think. And we're only 18 square miles, but like 10 of that is like livable. The rest is like uh, the old Pratt and Whitney and then Connecticut River marshland type. So it's condensed. You know, there's a lot of people right on top of one another building, you know, apartment buildings and stuff like that. But, you know, all the towns that border us around us, you know, they got, you know, 120 guys to our left, you know, 400 to our right. So, you know, small land wise, but you got a lot of cops and a lot of heavily populated areas. So we had four dogs, but then all our neighboring jurisdictions also have dogs. Mm -hmm. Well, the the reason why I asked that was uh, 20 people to try out for one spot in a dog unit says a lot about the, reputation of the dog program at that time um my old unit it's been up and down we've had um you know where we had shitloads of guys try out and then we had a little while where only a few guys would try out and it had nothing to do with the dogs and the guys it had to do with who was leading so in a unit in a department where um the canine, a lot of people want to be in canine where hardly you can't get any candidates or nobody really tries out. It says a lot about uh, who's in charge. They don't want to work for them or maybe the reputation of the unit. So getting in there, 20 dudes trying out for one spot is pretty, that's a pretty impressive amount. Fuck, you probably can't even get 20 guys now to try out to get on the police department, you know, um, since the numbers have dwindled so bad on that. Um, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. So let's talk about, uh, I believe Primo is your first dog. Um, let's kind of get into him. Talk about uh, Primo, uh, breed, temperament, just things you really like. A couple things looking back now are a pain in the ass. And and it looks to me like you guys um, 
had a hell of a career and pretty badass in the Connecticut Police Canine Olympics. Yeah, we uh, we had a really good career. It was uh, it was painstaking. You know, your first dog, you're starting to learn everything from scratch. Fortunately, I like I said, I came from uh, a canine unit that, I mean, just absolutely crushed it. I mean, you know, the other guys had just as many bites as I did almost. Some of them, some of them had more, um, and they were just crushing it. You know, they, they, they won all those, those same awards I did. So I had some big shoes to fill and honestly, that was kind of like a motivator. Uh, so I knew I had to produce because you can't fake canine. You know what I mean? You can't, I always say, I tell every new guy that you can't fake this. So what you put into it is what you got to get out of it. You know what I mean? You can do all the Instagram, all that crap, but like, you can't, you can't fake your stats and you can't fake your finds and bites. Um, so Primo was, uh, you know, basically a Schutzen dog that came over from one of the clubs and to our vendor. And we looked at, we looked at a lot of dogs. We, we actually looked at dogs, I think three times batches, um, not just going and looking at I'm talking batches. So we went through like 30 dogs. We have our own little in-house, uh, testing, uh, sheet we go through, we rate all the dogs. We're pretty thorough. And, uh, yeah, Primo, Primo did really well. Um, took him home. I just remember driving home to my house and he's, uh, we didn't have cages back then. And I'm just looking over on my shoulder and he's just slobbering on me. And I had only met him for about, you know, an hour that day so far. He's and loose in your car. Yeah. No cages, man. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, yeah. Believe me. It, we, we got a cage pretty quick. Uh, we had a pursuit and, uh, Shocking. my, my <laughs> My sergeant was, uh, it was a daytime pursuit right, right after roll call. And, uh, I'll never forget it. My sergeant literally went upstairs to the chief's wing and he goes, I watched Mona holding that dog's collar, driving, transmitting, driving just cause that dog would end up in the windshield. I mean, he put his, his front legs in the dash, um, and, you know, nose up against that windshield. Just, we just had so many pursuits back then that, you know, he knew what was coming, you know? So yeah, that was a struggle, but, um, he, he was a, he was a, a natural tracker. If, if that, that to me was his best quality it was, he was just a natural tracker. He taught me, uh, more than I taught him when it came to tracking. And, um, we had, we had some, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we had some real problems. We had, he was fine with gunfire um, when we tested him and even doing some in-house stuff. We, we usually did about four weeks of in-house prep work before uh, we do an academy. And uh, we, when we were at the academy, um, gunfire was introduced incorrectly and it made everlasting scars on my dog. And I had a gun shy dog and here I am in, an agency where I was like, there's a very good chance, <laughs> a very good chance that we're going to, we're going to see something in our career. And sure enough, we did. And now I have a gun shy dog and we, I, I, I went as far as I could go to try to figure out the problem with, um, guys that I didn't even train with like, uh, that were willing to help me out. And that's kind of why I do the things that I do now is always willing to help somebody else out with a problem because I went to people with problems and, Kind of made, they, they took it on as their own, just trying to help me out for the, you know, for good versus evil versus bad cops versus bad guys out there. So, um, but the gun, the gun shy issue was, was our biggest issue. And that's why I'm, I'm so OCD 
and so in depth with the gunfire now. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw some of our videos that we posted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's only scratching the surface. Um, But uh, yeah, I I was really worried. And one thing about that dog was if, if he was in drive, he had auditory exclusion. So he didn't hear the fucking gunshots. (laughs) So (laughs) he knew he was going to bite and he can get a bite. He, he didn't care about the gunfire, but if you, you were doing any neutrality exercise or just, mm-hmm. you know, fireworks, it was like, fuck, see you later, dad, I'm out. You know, I didn't want that. So that was, that was our biggest uphill battle, but all in all, he was, uh, he was a phenomenal dog. Um, we had a lot of bites, a ton of fines, um, a lot of awards, just, uh, just an all around good dog. You couldn't ask for a better dog to, to, to just for a first time handler, uh, just as, uh, working cohesively together, I guess. Yeah. And you, uh, what, what is the drug of choice in East Hartford? Uh, without a doubt, uh, fentanyl, and, you know, it's really? not even, it's not even heroin anymore. So we, we just got a briefing or something from the DEA the other day that how many overdoses came from, uh, marijuana because they laced it with fentanyl. It. Yeah. yeah. When you first got in, was it, was it heroin? The big deal there? Cause no. the background. Yeah. Where crack is always in Canton. Yeah, it crack. still is. It's crack. Crack's a hell of a drug. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, crack, crack. It's still meth here. It's, yeah, it's still no matter what. It's, uh, it's the state bird. Like, the crack, <laughs> crack, crack created dog calls, you know, meth yeah. creates oh, yeah. dog calls. Heroin, heroin <laughs> creates dead bodies. You know what I mean? Yeah. You ain't getting dog calls on heroin, you know? No, not going to that. Um, it's funny because there's a, uh, area where I go tracking all the time. It's a, they call it a nature reserve. I don't know what it is. It's a county park, but it's right at the edge of, of pretty rough area in Canton. And I, I was just there tracking yesterday. Um, every time I go there, there's someone sleeping in their car. And I always go up and look to see if they're out on heroin. And they might be. Um, but the other day, the guy showed up out there. And there's a guy passed out in his car. They go look. And they're like, um, yeah, it's probably heroin. What it actually was, he was completely passed out and he had a, a rubber band around his balls and cock and had, it was out cold, out cold, looked gray, woke up. Hey guys, got in his car, <laughs> drove off with his dick hanging out. So, um, welcome to, <laughs> welcome to the city. Yeah. So, um, so one of the things I'm looking at, uh, when looking at your bio here is that you guys competed in the, uh, Connecticut police canine Olympics. It looks like you guys have got, um, with Primo, we'll talk about him first. Um, pretty good amount of success in that my question is and this this we so canton we host the police olympics the ohio police games are held in canton now every year every other year maybe every couple years and there's a canine thing and we have a lot of guys in our training group right like 38 39 guys three or four of them compete uh the rest of them have good dogs man and they they they're all super shy about it. What do you, what do you see? Why is it, you know, uh, guys don't want to put themselves out there. Maybe that's the answer. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's, I, I think, well, I could say this. I, I know it's on the handler end. It ain't on the dog end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think guys just don't know how to deal with um, coming in like, you know, towards the bottom or last. You know what I mean? And, it, and they may, they may worry about how it reflects upon them and their agency and so forth. But um, my, my thing is like, 
you have to take yourself out of the comfort, out of your comfort zone. You know, like, like that guy you just found in the park with the thing around his balls, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, that, that's putting yourself out there, right? Like out of his comfort zone. Yeah, you know? Putting yourself so, out yeah, there. true. Out but, of public, you know, yeah. Yeah. But that's, I mean, you know, it's, it's things like that where you can grow. Like I almost came out to Ohio to do that. Michael Garber, um, yeah. you know, put it out there to me and I, I really wanted to go, but I just had too, too much other uh, seminars and workshops going on this summer and I went headed down to Greenville, South Carolina for some stuff and North Carolina this summer. So I was pretty much packed, but I really wanted to do it because the more competitions you can, you can do, you're going to, you're either going to find your strengths and you're going to find your weaknesses. You're going to, you know, where you need to improve and where you can uh, stop working so hard at and focus on the things that you need to. And I think that sometimes guys just worry about like, you know, shit, I'm going to expose myself and, I'm going to find a problem I'm going to have to deal with. So dealing with problems is what makes you better, man. I mean, that's how you, that's how you succeed. Yeah. It's funny because, um, so the agency Akron, which is just as 20 minutes North of Canton, it's a, a much bigger agency, but they, they host a, a competition every year and we would go up and, and compete in it. Uh, I competed one year. Um, but we, my, my one buddy, Greg, that was a handler for a while. He had, he had a dog named Primo actually of, of, Oddly enough, I said, here's the thing, dude. He goes, I don't know if I want to do it because I, I said, if you go do it, and the problem with him was going to be obedience, right? Uh, dog's a good, obedient dog, you know, no problems. However, it's the places surrounded by human beings, like up against the fence. Yep. And, and Primo had street bites and whatever. And I'm like, if your dog messes up the obedience, don't flip out on him you you just have to it's whatever dude no one gives a shit in reality no one cares you care and it bothers you but shrug your shoulders laugh it off whatever and sure enough that's what happened he made first turn dog was good second turn dog was walking off and uh you know and he got it back but he did a couple times oh well but then the dog killed some other things and um, we end up having a good time. I think you probably try it now on the, on the converse of that, uh, Ted and I would did a, a seminar in Louisiana and there was a group of handlers there that their entire job depends on how well they do at a USPCA, uh, certificate or, a, a competition. Uh, yeah. Try. Yep. Bring trophies back or you're out. And, uh, that's bad. That's not, and I don't, in my opinion, I, I think you're, you're then focusing because it's an area, it was a department that had a rough town. So, um, anyways, real quick, they have, you, you have a list of three-time Daniel Wasson Memorial canine award. Who is that? Daniel Wasson. Can you tell us the story a little bit? Yeah. Daniel Wasson was, uh, I'm not sure of the year exactly. I know it was early eighties. Um, but he was a canine handler in Milford and he, you know, we used to, back in the day, we used before the, the hot and pop and all that, we used to leave our dogs at the window. And so if you, if you had a car stop and you ended up struggling with somebody, the dog would just jump out the window and, you know, come and assist you in the fight. So his dog apparently uh, liked to jump out maybe a little, little early, you know what I mean? Um, probably did it one too many times where, you know, the dog was just anticipating getting in, you know, any, any interaction was going to be a, a bite. 
so uh, one day he left the window up and that was the wrong call to leave the window up and he was shot and killed. So, um, but they have the um, um, award in Connecticut in his honor. Um, and it's basically, you know, who has the, the best uh, street performance, um, you know, of the year, most severe call that you produced on and, and so forth. So. How many agencies participate in that? So it's for all of Connecticut. And oh, I, shit. Yeah, I think oh, if wow. uh, I know in CPWDA, um, we got Connecticut Police Work Dog. I think I think we got about 225 patrol dogs, roughly. And then you have a lot of non-members, um, state police. Uh, there's some troopers in it, but not always. And then... There's some people that aren't members, but you know, there's probably like 300 patrol dogs by the guess in Connecticut. So the pool is pretty big for it. That's huge. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, is that a certifying body too? CPWDA? Yeah. Yeah. You do yeah. certifications and stuff. Yeah. We have, a, we, have, it, it, basically we actually, um, we're going to update it a little bit. Um, it wasn't, we didn't, it initially was meant to mirror Napa water standards. And over the years we had a couple of changes with Napa water recently. So we just have to go into our bylaws and vote on that and then just make those changes. So, but it's, yeah, I'd like to carry a state and then a national standard. It's just, you know, when you go to court and you sit in the hot seat for a little bit, it's just nicer to have to. Connecticut, is it a, you guys have a mandatory standard? I don't remember if you're one of the 10. No. Okay. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's they offer like, it, but it's not mandatory. Yeah. You know, not, I mean, not mandatory. We, uh, not like, like, like you're talking Florida, I think Washington state, right. The, the states that have yeah, their own through, like, through South Utah. Carolina. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't even think Utah is mandatory. It's either their post is, uh, I don't remember if it is or not. Ohio yeah, so is. Utah has to do it through their post, I believe. Okay. I remember. And then Oklahoma, we have cleat. So we have to do on here too. So, yeah, because yeah, I know there's only 10, but a lot of times, so we can do that conversation. I had the conversation today. I talked to a sheriff, under sheriff today. They're asking about certification, and I told them the same thing. I was like, "You're statutorily required to get a state," but I was like, "Just do the national anyway, and I will train it to that standard." Which I mean, the state mirrors the standard, the national anyway. And I was like, "So they'll just do both." And they're like, yeah. "Oh, it's a really good idea." I'm like, "And you should probably write that down as a policy." And they're like, "Oh, it's hmm. a really good idea." Also, I'm like, oh, "I'm full of those." So yeah, you should do that too. <laughs> so. Yeah, we're yeah. gonna try to get on board with staggering them too, because uh, you know, six months and six months, just in case you miss one and overlaps, guys get injured. Yep. Whatever the case is, just I, I think, I think nationally, uh, you know, to protect the industry, I think that'd be a, a good thing for everybody to be doing. Yeah, I think if you're gonna do that, and this is what I, um, when I first met Mike Garber, I'm talking about Garber. His agency was that you had to do the Ohio and you had to do Napawada. And I, my suggestion to them was, why don't you change NAPWADA to national certification? Because what if, what, and it's not going to happen, but what if NAPWADA folded? Or what if they came out with some new rule that's so ridiculous and has nothing to do with Ohio and everything? It's to just make it national. Don't marry yourself to one, one particular certifying body just in case. You never know. You might never change. You know, you might stay with that whatever group forever. 
But then what if there's just a bunch of politics and shit that happens? You don't like the way things went and maybe they are advertising in a sex offenders magazine or something similar to that. And you don't agree with that. And you want to try to get away from that type of stuff. Um, then you're not married to that. And then you can maybe look around for a different certifying body. So you worked, uh, you worked with Primo. It looks like a long time, like, like nine, nine, eight, nine years on the road. Yeah. Oh, six to, uh, I put Cassis, we did a, I did my Academy in 2016. So he did 10 years on the road and I actually brought him back because he was still certified when Cassis that year, Cassis was on the road his first year and Cassis ended up getting bloat. And I was like, well, yeah. fuck it. I'm like the old man sitting at home and he, I'm like, he still got it. So I brought him to work and, uh, for about a month and, and no joke, he still had it. We didn't get a bite, but we had a, we had a good, I remember we had a good, uh, arm robbery track and we, we found a like fucking money and a mask and they ran yeah. through a wooded section to get to another, another street where, you know, obviously they had a car waiting, but yeah, I brought him back. So, I mean, just for a little, tiny bit. So he did like 10 years on the road and knock on wood, Cassis is, uh, he's got, he's going to be turning eight in 2022. So I just, yeah, that's, that's good. So when you brought the old man back, did he have to <clears throat> clean up the pipes and get that bark back or was it a little gravelly? Yeah. A little it's different? Like, <laughs> not just like me, it's fucking all like scratchy and everything, you know, Sound like a fucking sea lion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's that's yeah. hilarious. So he's retired and we're going to get into a couple very specific calls on our second half here. But uh, before we go on a break, I want to get into Cassis a little bit. Um, talk about him. Uh, you, you know, you already said how long you've been around, around with him when you went through Academy with him. Is Cassis a what what breed is he? Um, he's, so dad is from Holland, um, Windsor, Connecticut, that dog since passed, his name was Ico. Uh, I was like wicked fond of this dog. Like he was, he was this shepherd that had the head, like the size of like a cane corso. I mean, it was huge. Mm -hmm. And he had this ball drive that was just sick. Like, you know how, like, you, I mean, you see it a lot more now cause, cause we're dealing with, you know, we're just getting better and better genetics. Right. But that dog, when it, like, if that ball slipped out of his mouth, I mean, dude, I watched him take people's legs out mm -hmm. because it accidentally came out of his mouth. I, I watched him smack his head into, you know, uh, a, one of those concrete columns just to, oh, yeah. just to get the ball back in his mouth and, like, cut his eye and, don't like, didn't even think twice about it. You know what I mean? And I was like, shit, that is, uh, that's, that's impressive. I'm like, you know, I, I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to get a dog where, you know, I can manipulate and motivate with just having used the ball. Cause you know, the back in 2006, we were doing everything, um, more, more so compulsion. Um, we weren't necessarily rewarding at the most opportune time. Um, we did some dumb shit. Like I'm talking tr trip lines, lines on his, <laughs> on his fucking, uh, lower abdomen plus his, you know uh, on a on a flat collar just to slow him down to do the recall and like we were like what the fuck are we thinking i mean we were literally experimenting um and some of those weren't my doings <laughs> i'll be honest some of them were but some most of them weren't uh i was told to do it but um i wanted a dog that i knew that i can make do just about anything with you know a ball and it'd be fun for him so 
I, I had Ico mate with a female from Czech up in, uh, mom was from, uh, the bitch was from up in Amherst, Mass. Um, my friend Laura had, had uh, done a couple litters with, with them and real good success that they had some dogs up in like Vermont, New Hampshire area. And uh, Cassis was like the, you know, the best one of the litter. He did all those little tests and he was supposed to walk away and come back and, you know, always just doing everything that the top dog in the litter should be doing. So I was like, good, we'll give it a shot. So I literally threw him in the back with uh, Primo at eight weeks old. And he, he grew up in that back back seat with him. <clears throat> so he, he came to work with me every day and uh, we raised him. I did a ton of shit every day, happy, happy stuff. And he's where he is today. In fact, we just got a new puppy like two months ago. We're doing the same thing for our next handler. So. That's pretty progressive uh, thinking or, or on whoever you answer to, to allow that uh, most places won't do it. Um, if I, if I raised a puppy and I went to a, many departments said, Hey, I got a puppy. Can I put him in the car with me? And we're going <clears> to <throat> do this and raise him up. A lot of them would say no, because they would think you're up to something. No, that's because, true. We, we had to battle that. Yeah. What are you up to? What do you mean? What am I up to? You're as very presumptuous that, that you would have uh, another dog. Get the fuck out of here, man. And now you have success. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we, we kind of get, we get past that. So you guys um, are rocking and rolling um, again, doing some competitions, uh, getting in the police Olympics. Sounds like you're kicking ass in that. Um, says you uh, compete in, in, 2016, the Cabela's Police Canine Competition. Where was that at? Um, so we have a Cabela's store in East Hartford, and they would always do like two or three demos a year for them. And one of them was the police and military, like big sale they have. Um, I think it was like in October or something. I, I forget what ho holiday it was around, but uh, we used to do that for them. And then they had a new manager come in, and I, we had just finished up, uh, or I had just finished up doing the academy. And then um, I was like, well, I'm like, I got all these young dogs. I mean, I, I'd like to, how about we just do host? Cause it's got a big, big parcel of land right there. I'm like, how about we just do a, a competition the whole day here and turn it into an event. And it was crazy, man. Cause I had, I had like 30 dogs, I think come down that first year. And it was like, we had a dog from, I didn't even know, it was either Martha's Vineyard or Nantucket. Like I didn't even know. <clears throat> They had dogs, you know, and, you know, we just dogs from everywhere. It was like New York, Massachusetts and stuff. So, and uh, it, it was a success. It was cold as fuck. It was the first weekend in October and it was like 40 degrees and one of those rainy cold days, like you were talking about, it was like a nor'easter and I, it was miserable, but we, we got through it and it was fun. And then uh, I had uh, the hometown foundation which is one of the largest foundations in the country uh they do the dream ride for the special olympics they're also based out of connecticut and somebody happened to be at cabela's that day and saw it and they're like whoa, whoa, whoa let's get in touch with these guys and see if we can move this to the dream ride because the dream ride's got all these celebrities and millionaires that come with their lamborghinis and ferraris and they raise insane amount of money for special olympics and they asked us to do, um, to fill a time slot on the Pol Farmington Polo Grounds. And 
we did it and it was a, a blast. It was a huge success. Um, it was one of the only times that Boston PD competed against NYPD. Um, so, so that was really cool. Um, again, th- those numbers were getting up to like 20. This year we had 33. Uh, and I tried capping it, but I just, I have a hard time saying no to people. But, um, and then we, uh, they, they've hosted it every year for us. And uh, if anybody's out there that's listening and needs some, some dogs, they, they've been buying free dogs all around the country because I want to say in 2016 or 15, uh, dog in Wethersfield, Connecticut, which is the next town over from us um, on an area search was, was killed. Um, and it kind of pulled on some heartstrings and they went and raised money. So now their two things are special Olympics and police, uh, canine. And they'll do everything from buy hot and pops to equipment to dogs. They got dogs. They bought three dogs. I think now out in New Mexico, cause just cause they've, uh, taken advantage of it. They go through, um, the process. It's not a, it's not a lengthy process at all. And those guys from New Mexico all came out every year to compete in the uh, competition. They literally drive out here every year because we, we host a training day on a Friday too. Mm-hmm. It's free. They put it all on. Usually we'll have some trainers from the New England area come in, put on different classes and then uh, the competitions on Saturday. What um, it's, it's hometown. Is that what you said? It was yeah. Called? The home, hometown foundation. You can find them on Instagram, Facebook, their website, and then you just click the link for uh, police canine and you can basically get in touch with them. And all the information's right there. We'll have to put them in that in the show notes. Uh, we're always trying to yeah. help, you know, uh, a lot of people just are always asking, how do I get it? I need, I have no money. We have no money, 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 nothing. Need a dog, need a dog, need a dog. And, you know, prices aren't going down. Um, that, that and I can, you can test that from being a trainer. Uh, yeah. Shipping costs went up, cost of dogs went up cost of it just is more expensive so before we take our first break i want to uh touch on something real quick so cassis has been um cross-trained now in firearms detection last few years sounds like you you guys been uh doing really well with the uh have over a dozen guns recovered talk real quick about um a little bit misnomers uh about what some people think if I'm going to cross train them for gun detection, I'm just going to teach the dog how to find uh, gunpowder. Mm-hmm. And some people are like, Oh, I just use human odor. We just use it for that. When you got into the guns, what, what break that down, how that looks like when you're cross training him for that. Sure. So, um, Bill Scribner, Napa water master trainer. Uh, he's also patrol narcotics and explosive. He's, he's been in the game for like, I think like 35 years now. So when I wanted to get him cross, I actually wanted to get Primo cross trained and, uh, we, we never did because I don't think they wanted to find guns back in the day, but now, now it's, uh, I mean, it's just, it's killing our society. It really is. It's, I mean, innocent people getting shot. It's just, it's absurd. So the more guns we can get off the street, they easy sell, but Bill was like, you know, Todd, just go through a whole entire explosive class. So you learn everything from soup to nuts. And if there's, you know, we we started his his foundation with um i think we bought six different types of powders and that's what we basically imprinted on and we went from there just because they're you know it, it flows downhill from there but um that's how we did it and i'm glad i went i went through it 
just to do the whole process because I feel like I have a much better understanding of it. And I, I always was, you know, I don't know, depending on who's doing the training and such is, you know, you want to just make sure that the dog is, you know, going to be passive, um, not mouse stuff. So there was a lot, it was a lot more in depth than I, than I thought it was going to be, to be honest with you. I thought it was going to be like, oh, dogs you know, go and alert on this and, you know, it's going to be real easy. And boy, was I wrong? Cause <laughs> you know, you take a super high drive dog and now you're, you're trying to teach him to be calm, you know, cause the last thing I want my dog to do is go, go and pick up a gun in his mouth. Um, and you know, God forbid it, it goes off and stuff, but, um, so that that's basically how we did it. We did the full explosive class and, you know, from there, it, you know, in, in my opinion, it's got to make it easier for the dog, but that's just me. Yeah. When I first got into canine 05, we were uh, doing USPCA type standards. And at the time, um, article searches was a retrieve dog would go out, get the art article, bring it back, spit it flip into a finish, go out, same thing over and over again. So my first dog, Gina, we're tracking a, um, an armed robbery and we're going along, going along and she dives into a bush and comes out with the gun. Yeah. And I was like, Oh fuck. Jumping around. She's holding this damn thing. I'm like, I'm going to get shot by my own dog out here. This is ridiculous. So then, um, fast forward, like another year or so, uh, my buddy, Ryan, his first dog found two guns where he picked them up. And then you're putting dog DNA on a gun. You're putting, uh, you're maybe licking off DNA because we're finding guns that were just used is, is the main reason why, why we're getting called out for this stuff. Thankfully we quit doing that and it, we taught them to down on articles, but um, I don't know of anybody who's been shot by their own dogs, but I don't want to be that guy. The first one. If you're listening to this and you know something that has, let me know. Yeah, please. Because <laughs> I would want to talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> Dog went on a shooting rampage. So, um, all right, we're going to go ahead and take our first break. This is a, that was a pretty good long segment. Um, we get back, we have some, a uh, couple crazy stories with how we're going to get into, and then we're going to talk up some training. So y'all learn some shit. So stick around, check out the show notes for the discount codes. If you miss them and we'll be right back. Hits Canine Training Conference. This is America's premier canine training seminar packed to the brim with the world's best instructors and me and Eric. All covering important topics. There's no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, and trainers. Hits 2022 is being held in Orlando, Florida this year, August 16th through the 19th. And I know how you guys are. Everybody waits the last minute. And in the post-Rona world, everybody's training budgets are being cut and everybody's deciding whether they're going to be able to get to go or not. So don't wait because they're not going to have an infinite number of spots and the price goes up after a certain date. So get signed up as soon as possible. It's in Orlando. We'll see you there. Be sure to hit them up. Hits K9, letter K number nine dot net. One of the best relationships we have in this podcast and in this industry is with the great people down at Kinetic Dog Food. The story of Kinetic uh, Performance Dog Food is pretty simple. They wanted to make a better premium dog food for the dogs that need it the most. Their goal is to give every working and sporting dog a higher energy level, better performance, and better overall health through superior nutrition. So they formulated a line of food based on what they considered to be the optimal profile 
of a performing of performance dog. They've done tons of research on this. This isn't their first rodeo. These guys know what they're doing. If you're a kennel, they will come to your kennel. They will see the problems that you have. They will check out what works for the dogs that you have. Um, they're amazing people to work with. They drop ship a pallet right to you if you want. Um, I know a lot of guys that use them. There's a bunch of different formulas on there. And uh, 32K might not be for your dogs. Maybe the 26K works. They can adjust it. They'll give you the right ideas what to do in different parts of the year. Winter's different than summer. It's uh, it's really a well-run, good dog food um, company, kineticdogfood.com. Be sure to check them out on social media too, man. They're, they're amazing folks, kineticdogfood.com. By now, you've probably all heard my story at least once. I'm usually getting tagged by dogs or hurting myself. So this next product is like near and dear to me because I actually use it. Uh, Quick Turn by Vet Care. It does great for keeping small things from turning into big ones. I use it at the kennel for uh, clients' dogs that have some issues with skin stuff or have food allergies or have environmental allergies. Works great. Keeps hot spots from making giant hot spots. And it keeps my working dogs who inevitably find magnificent ways to hurt themselves from turning it into a giant vet visit stops little issues from becoming big ones. So it comes in a spray, it comes in an ointment, it comes in a dressing. It's great for creating a protective barrier and promoting wound healing. You really only have to use it like once a day. So there's no reason not to have it in the vehicle. Since it's temperature stable, you don't got to worry about it getting hot, getting cold or anything like that. So put it in your first aid kit or put it in your cabinet. Vetcare.us on the internet, quick derm by vetcare on the inner on Instagram and on Facebook, and then hit them up with the discount code one zero WDR for 10% off your first order. So my entire time that I was a handler or a trainer in law enforcement, the cars at my department in the departments that I trained all had American aluminum accessory kennels in the cars, different cars, man, Dodge chargers, all Ford models, some Chevys, uh, SUVs, cars, everything. We loved American aluminum accessories. Um, it's a great, product, a great company. They've been serving uh canine law enforcement community for over 20 years. If you check out their uh, website, EZ, that's the letter Z, EZrideronline.com. They got testimonials. They got videos on how to, they got a list of everything they have. Uh, just today, we made a post on the working dog radio, social media, showing a dog that survived a really bad crash because of the American aluminum kennel in the back of the car. Check them out online, guys. Easyrideronline.com. Just let them do their thing, man. Whatever car you got for your work, your patrol car, get a hold of them, American Aluminum Accessories, and get the best in the business. Next up comes uh, training courses online from our friends down at Highland Canine Training, Jason and Aaron Ferguson. So in the post-Rona world, uh, training budgets have been getting cut. People aren't going to be able to travel, whether it be instructors or they be and handlers and supervisors going somewhere else for training. So Highland has announced a lot of online training courses. One of those that sticks out to me is their police supervisor canine course. And it's no secret that one of the problems with canine tends to be some of the supervision issues. This course is specifically designed for administrators and covers utilization as well as liability and FLSA issues. The course can be taken at your convenience and you'll receive a certificate of completion at the end. When you go to Tactical Police Canine Training, that's letter K number nine, training.com, and use the discount code WDR30, you'll get 30% off of that course. All right, we are back. Uh, don't fast forward to those. You probably did. If you didn't, then great. You know the, you know the discount codes if you don't. 
Don't inbox me on Instagram asking what they are. And I I say that, and I think people do it just to make me mad. Like I swear, I had like six people inbox me the other day, and they're like, "What's the discount code for this?" I'm like, "I don't fucking know." <laughs> Listen to the show notes. Listen to the show notes. That's why we do the commercials. Don't fast forward through the commercials. So uh, we're here with Todd Mona from East Hartford, Connecticut, uh, talking about uh, last two dog, the two dogs he ran. Uh, we're going to get into some of the deployment stories before we do some of the building search stuff. Um, he was an instructor at uh, Blue. I actually met him at Blue Line when I was up there instructing, or in St. Louis, I think. That's where it was, where there was a shooting outside the hotel uh, <laughs> the night I got there. So that was spicy. Uh, it's going to be in Pennsylvania. This shouldn't be in uh, Pittsburgh. So <clears throat> in April, I think is what is it, the 26th to 28th or something? Yeah, sorry, 26th to 28th. Um, but yeah, we'll so... Be there. Yeah, we'll be there. We'll be up there doing the dog and pony show, doing some interviews and stuff. So, um, Todd, you, uh, Cassius is a dual purpose dog for apprehension tracking and as well as firearms um, detection. So we talked a little bit about before the break. So you have been involved um, in some interesting calls um involving shootings uh with the dog so you know one of the things that eric is always talking about some of the seminars and some of the other stuff is don't get shot holding your leash and dog calls are not gun calls so talk a little bit about the times that the these two worlds have collided uh yeah i mean if there's some things that i can uh tell you, I'm going to make sure I tell you my mistakes so that listeners don't make them. So hopefully we're all away from the way things were like, you know, back when Eric and I were handling dogs, you know, 10, 12, 15 years, 16 years ago now almost, because I don't know how it was in other parts of the country, but like canine and tactics just weren't being married enough. Um, when you were on the dog call, uh, it was kind of like, I felt like a long time ago, it was more like, more like high speed. And now I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's just because you know more and you've grown older and wiser or you're getting older and your testosterone's been lower. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, I feel like things are able to be slowed down uh, on, on our end intentionally and to be able to think and rely on your training and be, you know, be safer. <clears throat> so, I mean, I've been, I've been on four police shootings now. Um, the first one by far was the worst. And that was the one where I was directly involved in and where I had to shoot. Um, but, you know, I should have, <clears throat> I should have known better going there is uh, just a weird call it was a uh, domestic, but the guy called and said he was going to kill his girlfriend or whatever. So the cops better come. And when we got there and we heard the, the girl screaming from outside the apartment, all the doors were locked and we were in the projects and um, basically row houses. So we kicked in the back door because we thought he was killing her. And uh, he was just standing at the top of the staircase um, with his fist clenched. And he had just a pair of gym shorts on. That's it. And, uh, and she was in the, the bedroom behind him. So I was like, well, you know, he's not listening to any of our commands, nothing. Um, I mean, back in 2000, that was in 2009. I mean, in 2009, I, I, we probably only had a few tasers on the road. Um, I don't even know if it would have hit him. I think we only had 15 footers back then or something. 
but anyways, um, you know, I gave him my announcements. We, we, we tried talking to him and I sent the dog and dog went up the stairs and there was only one light on in the whole fucking place. And it was the one standing right above his head. And I remember having a hard time seeing him because, uh, his head was blocking the view of the light. So I was getting a lot of, a lot of shadow. And then there was flashlights on him, of course, but it was intermittent. And then, uh, so I deployed the dog and I went and did his job and ran up those slippery wooden stairs and, and took him. And I made the mistake of running right up after my dog, like you do in training. And instead of staying behind cover <clears throat> and we were always deploying back back then with with no leash, no harness. Um, bulletproof vests were, you know, 80 pounds. <laughs> they weighed as much as your dog, and they were almost useless. They would have slowed your dog down. He would have been able just to probably pick my dog up and throw him back down the stairs because of how cumbersome they were. But I ran up, and I went to, you know, <clears throat> give the old Rocky Balboa. And... That I reached the second to last step, uh, I couldn't. It got dark again, and uh, I heard the, the switch. He actually had a switchblade where you press the button, and the knife comes out. And then I just heard the dog yelp. And I was like, "Shit!" <clears throat> and then, um, so I was like, "He's got a knife." And we're up on this three by three landing or four by four landing outside two bed, two little bedrooms and a bathroom. So I had nowhere to go. One door's closed can't run into the bathroom because that was where his back was <clears throat> excuse me so um there was just one other door in the light like i said the light was off and <clears throat> luckily i was able to make my way to, to my left which was where that door was and uh he jumped over my dog luckily primo uh came back and took him uh in the back and that was probably the only thing that slowed him down because he he turned and, and swung again, and then he just immediately turned and came at me. And if you can imagine, I mean, there's there's absolutely nowhere. And it's weird because when you're involved in a police shooting, <clears throat> everyone's like, it slows down. You know, you get auditory exclusion. And, like, I don't know. I, I felt like everything was just as real as it would be normally. Um, but one thing I do remember was feeling the wind from his arm when he threw the, when he tried stabbing me, uh, across my, my, my face. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for the messy cluttered <clears throat> ghetto apartment, I tripped over baby toys and then a, a futon mattress on the floor. And that's what caused me to, when I was backpedaling to go backwards <clears throat> and he wasn't able to, to get the knife, uh, any closer at that point because I was able to get rounds down. Um, but it was so close that he had muzzle, muzzle flash on his chest. Okay. So I remember, I remember that. Um, unfortunately in the heap of things, um, one of my backup officers, uh, came up and tried helping me out and laid down around or two and I got hit in the crossfire. So, um, it ended up shattering my femur, uh, hit me square, went through my left leg, shattered my right leg and I gotta be honest it was my left leg that was hurting because it, it canoeed open Ooh. like a B and I'm looking at my right leg when it, when now the lights came on it's like you know and I was just like that's a lot of meat 
it looks like a dog bite <laughs> on my right leg, but that was all from my left leg. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, so I, you know, now you can imagine my dog stabbed. I don't really know where he is. Now everyone's rushing into the room. Uh, one officer grabbed the knife, the suspect's knife and, you know, took that away. And, uh, I had to, uh, tend to myself a little bit. And one of the guys was a little shooken up and he couldn't get my knife open. So I asked my knife on him and cut off my pant legs to see if I needed to do a turtle, uh, tourniquet. And, uh, I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. And then, uh, I had my wits and whereabouts to get on the air and say, Hey, did anybody see know where my dog is? And one guy on the perimeter is like, Hey, he's, he's at your car and he's bleeding. So I, on the air, I said, all right, you know, get him to Bolton vet. That's who we use. And, uh, I said to dispatch, I said, get on the phone with Bolton, tell him my dog's been stabbed three times. I, th I think it, I, I didn't know how many times he'd been stabbed, but he'd been stabbed three. He got stabbed twice in the head and one right between the shoulder blades. Ooh. So luckily his cranium put, pushed, pushed one down throughout his ear or something. Um, then the skull stopped the other one and the one in between his shoulder blades missed his spinal cord by, uh, like a fraction they any closer he would have probably just been paralyzed so they were able to get him the call ahead to bolton <clears throat> they were expecting him of course there was a uh, a blizzard that night so it, it took everything took a lot longer it took like the dog probably an extra like 15 minutes to get to the vet it took an extra you know 10 minutes to get me to the hospital and yeah it was it was a uh, it was not a good night and then uh but got to try to make the best of it. So, uh, it was, there was some uncertainty. They didn't, doctors didn't know they, I have a metal rod in my leg and like my right, my right femur is about a little over an inch shorter. I was going to say, so, did you lose any height on that femur? Yeah. And I don't have much height left to lose. You know? <laughs> I mean, I'm a short little Italian guy. So <clears throat> I'm a little pissed off about that. So, yeah. but, uh, no, it was pretty cool. Nike, uh, Nike actually makes a, uh, insert for my police boots. Um, oh shit! Yeah, um, they they have a out in I think it's Oregon. Um, they have a a uh, unit or department that uh, will help out military and law enforcement. That if you're ever injured, and uh, I didn't know that about them. I forget who turned me on to that, but they did, and uh, they made me an insert where it fits right into my Nike sneakers, my Nike uh, police boots, and it's like the best thing. It's like I, I don't even know that um you know i'm off i'm off height wise so um yeah so the the one takeaway is stand stand behind cover put a long line on your dog get a good quality lof vest or something of that nature and be patient and don't go running in there like you're gonna you know save the day because the dogs are there to do their job and then we're there to do ours um <clears throat> putting them when we start to interact a little too close with one another, our, our task, the dog task and the human task, that's where we run into trouble. So the takeaway from that is stay behind cover, long line your dog, have a good recall. Cause I probably could have recalled them if, uh, if I had a line on them and I, I heard that knife, I probably would have just pulled them down the entire flight of fucking stairs. Mm -hmm. We could have avoided the whole thing. We, uh, Ted and I've done training all over the country and it, the, disparity disparity between leash usage uh, around the country is crazy 
um, down. Yeah. We, were, we were in Texas and there's uh, some units down there. Don't use a leash of any kind ever. And then there's like, some I don't on, even think I have one. Right. And there's some on the East <laughs> coast that everything is long line and, and, you know, behind cover probably from learning from mistakes. Um, the big thing that we have in the, in this part of the country that other places don't is basements. And that's a whole nother thing that, that folks aren't used to is dealing with uh, the criminal's hiding spot, which is almost oftentimes in the basement. I had a lot of bites in the basements, but, and it's funny when we talk about not even funny, but it's crazy how millimeters can change things. Like my, one of my closest friends, Bill from the police department, but uh, right before he became a canine handler, he was in the undercover unit, got stabbed in the back. Same thing, millimeters from, from, he had, you know, it was painful. He had some problems, but a couple millimeters to the one side and he's crippled. And it, and it's, it's just weird how shit works. And the other thing that people um, don't really understand is how freaking hard a dog, German shepherd, especially skull is. And you think, you know, but like our dog Jethro that got killed in 2016, yep. he took, five rounds to the chest they all went in and out and then he took one square in the middle and it did not penetrate ultimately the tbi that it caused we believe is probably what ultimately killed him uh he uh he just could not recover from it but he got shot pretty close straight in between the eyes and his forehead and it didn't it did not penetrate his skull um i i find that i was fascinated by that um, and it sounds like, you know, that cranium, that cranium helped old boy. Um, so how long were you guys off work from that? Um, so all in all, it only ended up being six months. Um, it started out with two years and then after a little bit went by, it was down to a year and then I kept pushing myself and mm -hmm. when, you know, I didn't, I wasn't married or had kids. So I was able just to focus on myself and. Um, I mean, I, I lived in a, a hospital for three months, you know, I was in, I was in a regular hospital for a month and then, uh, you know, like a rehab hospital for two. So, um, but one, one of the cool things was, um, our old canine handler, uh, ended up having like surgery on his toe, you know, he had like a bunion removed or some shit, but he was out of work. He couldn't run or nothing. So mm -hmm. he, uh, he was able to go to work every day and they assigned him on light duty to go to my house, pick up my dog. Once my dog got out of the hospital, cause he was in the hospital for like two weeks and then, um, bring him to the hospital to see me. And we didn't, the only days we missed was on the weekends when he wasn't working, but that dog spent, uh, just about every weekday with me. And he sat there where I rehabbed, um, I wheel my freaking wheelchair outside and throw the ball in him. Yeah. That's just, just how it was. That's pretty sweet. Um, and then we came back. Our first day back was one of the Olympics. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. That's a crazy turnaround from two years to six months. Yeah. But uh, I'm not surprised, you know, canine heels. So the thing is, I think a lot of guys in the back of their mind, they're like, fuck, we got to get back to work or he's going to forget. He's not going to be the same. He's He's got to get, and you're probably pushing that six month window to try to get him back as, as much as yourself back into work. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was like, man, this dog's only like, you know, shit, he was only four years old at that point. You know, he only been on the road for like not even three years. So I was like, 
he's not even in his prime yet. I'm like, what am, you know, I, I got to get back to my ass back to work. Like, and we were killing it. Like we were, <clears throat> we were getting tons of bites and fines. And I'm like, man, I got to get back to work. I got to, you know, he, you, you just, cause you see that you're, you, when you, when you know your dog's willingness to work and please and all that, it's like, you know, I'm letting him down if I don't get my ass back to work. And, you know, you, you, you get all the naysayers too over the years that are like, Oh, you should have just retired, pensioned out, fuck this job, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, I took it for a reason. Then I found a, a part, a, a spot that I really enjoy. And, you know, uh, I let it in, you know, our, our time under the sun here is, you know, there's no guarantee. So I'm, if I can make it back to do it, I want to do it. And, you know, and, and honestly, like here I was with the dog that hated gunfire and <laughs> he sat through all my rounds and bit again, you know what I mean? So like, I was like, man, this shit's good. Like I, I got this, you know? So the guy who shot you, how'd that work out? Um, <laughs> so that would be a lot, to, but yeah, that would be a lot to unpack uh, to, to, to keep in. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I mean, what are you gonna do? You know, you're you're in the the oh shit scenario, and you know it's uh, yeah, it sucks. But like, you know, he was trying to help me. You know, I mean, he only saw uh, the guy's back. You know what I mean? And, and rushing me, and you know, there's there was nowhere for me to retreat. I had retreated. As fact, when when my legs got taken out, I my head hit the back wall. So, you know, I, I had nowhere else to go. So he, he was, I understand that he was just looking out for me, you know, you know, and listening to that story and you kind of started out by saying, you know, I, I want everyone to learn from, <clears throat> you said, I want, you want them to learn from your mistake and you were very candid about what those were. One of the things that um, Eric and I harp on at a lot of these seminars is we can't let the dogs drive tactics. And I see that a lot with people that, you know, if I take the dog away from them, I was like, how would you do this without the dog? And they're like, and they kind of explain it. And I'm like, well, then do it sort of like that. But, you know, you, I mean, and, you know, you said one, one of the things that you said, he's like, you stepped out from behind cumber. One of the guys that had been to one of our seminars ended up in a situation chasing a rubber or a murder, murder suspects. And same thing. He did exactly what he knew he shouldn't have done. He stepped out and he caught three rounds and um, he, the dog wasn't shot, but they ended up shooting that dude 14 times and he survived and the dog ripped his bicep off. So that's cool. But you know, <laughs> and it uh, it's one of those um, things where, when I'm watching it, especially in building searches and clearing exercises, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit, um, where people are constantly trying to figure out what the dog is doing. And, you know, even with the experienced canine handlers, I'm like, why are you watching the dog? Like quit fucking like, and I say this all the time when we do integration stuff with guys that are non canine. So how important, well, did that incident ever like how much training do you guys do with your like patrol guys and how used to working around the dog? Cause you guys are active. I mean, active in not necessarily canine, but just um, East Hartford sounds like a lovely place with great street cafes where I'm sure nothing happens, but <laughs> like what, how often do you guys get to train uh, with your uh, like wrote just the normal patrol guys? Um, not enough. But the way my agency works is we bid our shift and squad for a year. So what ends up happening is you, you form some real good cohesiveness with 
um, the squad you're on. So, um, you know, over the years, you know, I went from being like, you know, one of the junior guys on patrol with the dog to now being one of the most senior guys on patrol with the dog. And over the years, um, when you spend that much time with those guys, we had some really monumental years where you get like, you know, one summer you get, you know, like a dozen bites and just like a summertime, it's just like you're rocking and rolling. And it's like, everybody knows where to go and what to do. And you just know what units are coming from where, you know, so and so said, He's going to go this direction. And one of the other things I just got done doing was putting together a uh, perimeter containment and um, little class for um, all new hires and the academies and stuff like that. And a couple of the guys brought it back to their own agencies because all these towns are, you know, they're set up. So everyone's set up so differently. Like some guys, you know, have like, three cops and one of them's the canine. So how do you really help out your canine handler? And to answer your question, it's just like, yes, we need more training with our patrol guys, but when you're able to spend time with them, other towns rotate, like they may spend, you know, one day they're with this group of five guys and then a new set of five guys on the same day. And then the following day, the new set of five guys is now the old set of five guys. So they're rotating guys in and out and then they don't get that, day in day out uh routine with those guys so i feel like the way just because we're set up schedule wise we have a phenomenal uh just natural approach to things that just somehow comes together and over the years i've worked with all because I, I always get stuck with new guys and um you have to sort of train them coach them and that they're the reason why I'm successful. I mean, yeah, it's because I'm OCD and I'm like, no, motherfucker, this dude is still out here. He's under a porch. He's under a tarp. He's here. And I'm going to kill myself trying to find him. And I'm gonna, I'm not going to quit. Like, yeah, that's my mentality. But the, the thing is those other guys are doing what I'm asking. And, you know, canine handler's got to be a leader out there. It's, it's your show. You could have a sergeant out there or a lieutenant or whoever, all the brass you want, but how many of them truly know what we need and where we need those resources i mean how many yeah now unless you were a former dog handler now you're a sergeant on the road those are the guys i would trust but and even then some it's like you still got to question it but mm -hmm. like you gotta you gotta be a handler's gotta lead direct and control out there when it's a dog call and you know not respectfully of course don't overstep your bounds but take charge and then if you know we always use roll calls where we go over the shit the next day whether we have a a, a track where there was nobody found or whether we got a find or whether we got a find and bite and we'll just we'll we'll put it out there and um and i think because our our unit is so successful with the dogs the boss has always let us have the floor at roll call just to like say who did a great job at what and where improvements could be made and you know we've we've caught in three and I, I we got three three guys for murder um over the, the course with my my two dogs so far and not not a lot of it has, has i say more more so has been the group effort versus my effort i mean that's important yeah and seniority helps too man when i um so when i got into the canine unit i had nine years on the pd at that point and um so i wasn't a senior guy but as i started going 
second, third dog. I'm one of the senior guys at every call. Now I'm more experienced. I've been involved in all, in some serious shit up at that point. So it, it definitely, they, they'll, they'll stop and listen to you, especially and even some road sergeants. Well, Hey, how, how do you want to do this? You know, what do you want to do? What do you need from me? Um, every once in a while, there was one guy who'd show up, and I'd go, yeah, uh, I didn't call for you. You can go ahead and go that type of stuff. Um, that was a Sergeant. I would do that too, but you know, I had the juice because I had been in, you know, I had some time on the job at that point. The, you know, and this brings up an interesting, so when we had done getting ready for this interview, like this finish your like right up and everything else, and you have over like 250 non-contact apprehensions. And, um, I was talking with the sheriff's department today and I was kind of talking about this. I was talking about you. I didn't mention your name, but just the interview we were doing tonight. It was like, this guy has 250 catches with dog where he didn't bite him. And they're like, oh, that's great. I'm like, now, had the dog not been there, I don't know what those would have turned into because I don't know anything about any, any, any of them. But I do know that a lot of that is also not just him. It's the people he works with because they were able to keep that guy contained and the dog was able to locate him and he gave up. Everybody went to jail and nobody went to the hospital and everybody went back to work and there's no insurance being paid. There's no workman's time. There's no time off. There's no bullshit. There's no desk time. Like everybody just goes back to work and they kind of got really quiet and they're like, how many? And I was <laughs> like, I don't know. I was like, I'm sitting here looking at my phone. I'm like, I don't know. It's like 256 or something is what it says right here between two dogs. And they're like, that's insane. How many bites did he have? One of my that's kind, that's kind of a, I they said how many bites did he have? I was like that's a that doesn't matter. I was like that that really doesn't matter because the fact is it was still 250 people that were caught that wouldn't have been otherwise or very likely could have not been. So, I mean, one of my favorite dog calls that I that I I was on we were we were sitting uh, watching a car that did an armed robbery in Hartford and then a stolen car drove drove by and another guy picked it up but they bailed and. I ended up just because of where I was, I, I had to set the perimeter at an intersection because I knew that if I went to the scene and started tracking, these dudes were going to break that perimeter and run towards the housing projects. So I had to set it. So just because you're a canine handler doesn't mean like, like help yourself out. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you, you have, you have to think in terms of cop first in terms of perimeter containment. And then once you get it set to where you want it, where it's better, you're in the dog's chances. Okay, boom, somebody, a roll call came and took my spot, which it, it, was, it wasn't too long, but it, it was another three minutes maybe. Then I was able to go into my role as a canine handler. But if I didn't set that perimeter, and what's scary was one of the guns, one of the sets of latex gloves, and a mask was literally 15 feet in front of my car behind a behind a vinyl fence oh so they came to the house that i was at and i was fucking listening too but there were sirens going off and there's engines roaring and it was it was um it still was only like 10 o'clock at night and there's a lot of a lot of vehicular traffic but i said to them, i was like they were that close to me so i know they were going to break that perimeter and i would have probably never found them just they, they had million places to hide if they got past me so do what you got to do to help yourself out if you got to set the perimeter and wait for somebody to come and relieve you that's going to better your chances then do it and then talk about that with your guys later because they if nobody if i didn't tell anybody what i did as setting the perimeter first nobody else would have probably knew that i did that 
So they understand that like, okay, that's how it's got to be because yeah, Ty was a dog guy. He found four on that one and got the bite and got three guns, but he set the perimeter and waited and had to fucking put time against them. But yet they, we pinned them down, pin them down. They're yours. Yep. You know? Yeah. They got to go to ground. I, that's what I used to tell all the time. I'm like, if I commit a crime and I have, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 minutes lead time on you and I don't stop moving, you're not going to catch me. Mm-hmm. We need you to make them go to ground. And that doesn't mean driving around with your spotlight on, you know, the, the perimeter and containment is a whole episode in and of itself. But uh, yeah. So we're going to go ahead and take a break. We come back. We're going to shift over to listen. We could tell stories with Todd for for hours. And but again, like I've said, we are not Joe Rogan. We don't do three hour podcasts. Um, so we're going to go ahead and take a break. We come back. We're going to switch over to the training side of the house. Um, sounds to me like he's super passionate about it. And uh, we'll get into what we're going to what he's going to talk about in blue line. So we'll be right back. All right. We love the Perkinsons down in uh, North Carolina at Highland Canine Training. They are great people, great trainers. They got a good business model. They're awesome folks. We've been with them for a long time. Uh, they're also super smart. And they understand that a lot of agencies are struggling to have manpower. So they're not sending people away for training. You guys have been there. You know, you put in denied lack of manpower. So they've created an online course section of their website, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. You get on there under training the online course. But here's the best thing is they offer a supervisor, canine supervisor course, which we know a lot of uh, police canine supervisors don't get to go to training. They don't know as much as they should. Right here online, uh, the course discusses topics such as proper selection of dogs and handlers, proper deployment, effective allocation and utilization, as well as liability and the FLSA issues, which we know is where all the legal stuff comes from, interdepartmental. Uh, The course can be taken at your convenience, and you will receive a certificate of completion at the end. Uh, they're offering an amazing discount, guys. 30% off using the discount code WDR30. It's a no-brainer. If you're a police supervisor and you guys have manpower issues and you can't go, get on tacticalpolicek9training.com under the training tab. Get on that supervisor's course, man. I'm telling you, it's a smart decision. Another one of our favorite partnerships with the podcast here is the one and only Dogtra. The doctor guys have been producing some amazing tools in the dog training world for a long time. Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball trainers. If it's electric and you use it with a dog, they've probably done it. They're the best. They are revolutionizing the way you communicate with the dog. I use it daily, whether I'm using pets. Uh, I use the 200C on most of our pets. Uh, most of my patrol guys will use a 1900 hands-free, 1900S hands-free. And then I use the ball popper pretty much daily with all of our detection dogs for imprinting on our box protocols. So hit them up at Dogtra Official on Instagram and Facebook. And then you've got Dogtra.com. And when you go there, if you use the discount code WDR10, they'll give you 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. So if you're looking at a 1900S or that Ball Popper Pro or one of those things, it'll knock a substantial chunk off there. So hit them up, doctor.com, WDR10. So everybody knows that Ted and I uh, not only train police dogs, we train pet dogs, right? We train dogs. So 
it's why our relationship with Ray Allen manufacturing is so important. They've, these guys have been doing this so long. They knew and they understand that dogs are dogs and it's not just working dog people that need things for their dog and dog training. So you go to rayallen.com. They have everything dog related that you need. Anything that when it comes to dogs, pet dogs, your pet training dogs, police dogs, dogs you're training for other departments, anything you need, rayallen.com. Uh, they've got it. You can get on there. So if you're ordering stuff for police dogs and if you have a pet side, you can get it all in one, man. They ship it out. Got a nice big box full of a whole bunch of stuff. There's nothing better than getting a big box of dog training stuff in the mail. They also are great to us and they offer a discount code working dog radio, all capital letters, working dog radio for 10% off. Check them out. RayAllen.com. Great people. Ted and I use them every day. Super excited to have American Aluminum Accessories on board with us here at the podcast. These guys manufacture a wide variety of products from high quality cam locker toolboxes to an extensive line of products designed to meet the ever-changing needs of law, the law enforcement community. Around 1992, due to the demand for safe and secure transport for a local law enforcement agency's canine unit, they introduced the very first in-vehicle Easy Rider canine container. So it was basically what we now call just our inserts. They have continuously grown and expanded uh, the products, catering to the needs and the wants of their valued customers and high-profile clientele, and catering specifically to law enforcement. Over the years, as the needs have changed for law enforcement, they've evolved and expanded the products to include inmate transport systems, the canine training aids, which I use quite a bit of, canine inserts. Most of, every one of my guys has one of those things. And you know, you if you're not even have to be in law enforcement, I have several friends that are civilians that work. <laughs> lots of dogs that have the inserts put into their cars too so you got one that fits you can do it uh they also do contraband and animal control systems just to name a few so be sure to hit them up the website is easy rider online so that's the letter e the letter z as in zebra rideronline.com if you're looking for them on instagram and facebook it's american aluminum accessories feel free to hit them up there too so our first and oldest sponsor that's been with us from the beginning is arno out out at ALM, uh, out there in, in Las Vegas area. Arno is a great dude. He makes great stuff for, for police work and sport work, suits, tugs. I'm telling you right now, his tugs are the best in the business. You can't get any better. Multiple colors. Uh, I, I buy boxes of them from him, give them out to everybody. Uh, I've got a bite suit from him. Love it. I've had it for a little over three years and it's holding up like a champ. Um, Ted's got a suit that he's had forever from ALM. Uh, we wouldn't go anywhere else, man. We love it. Arno is such a good dude. His uh, ALM canine equipment.com is the website. Get on there. He's got pre-made suits. He can do custom suits based on your measurements. Um, he's got stuff already, already made up. If you kind of get a kind of generic large size, maybe for everybody, the colors he has, man, is really cool. He can put a lot of stuff on those suits. Uh, check them out. ALMK9equipment.com and use the discount code WD radio for 10% off. You know, running a kennel is one of those things that I always worry about is cleanliness and safety of dogs. And it's and it seems like it's an ever-changing issue being able to house dogs and move things around and everything else. So the guys at Horizon Structure make this as easy as possible. Literally, the only thing you have to do is have water and power hookups, and they deliver it, and you can put dogs in that day. 
and it's comes built comes on a trailer they just drop it off you plug it in put dogs in it and you're ready to rock you keep them clean you keep them safe you keep them cool in the summer and warm in the winter time and it's completely custom you can go complete mild to wild i've seen some that were stainless steel all the way from top to bottom on the inside and then i've seen some for a, a bulldog breeder that you know had smaller gates because those things can't jump so if you reach out to them uh, they're sitting there waiting for you to call and help you through the custom design process. They have everything from two dog ones up to, uh, I want to say like 18 or 20. It's a lot of, you can put a lot of dogs, indoor, outdoor runs. So anything you've ever dreamed of, they've got it or have done it or can do it. So they've taken all the guesswork out of building it. Everything is pre-done to your specifications that it's assembled, dropped off, boom, you're ready to rock. These things are amazing. Uh, Rigney has one. Uh, we've had him on the show a couple of times. Go check out his Instagram and you can see he's posted it up there before. Go look Horizon up at Horizon Structures, spelled out uh, on the internet. It's horizonstructures.com. And you're going to look for the link in there that says commercial dog kennels. Or give them a call, 888-447-4337. They'd love to talk to you and get you started on the way. All right, we are back. Uh, with Todd Mona from East uh, Hartford, Connecticut, PD, uh, talking about an officer-involved shooting and then talking about some successful no-contact apprehensions um, and numbers. But um, so one of the things that our buddy Justin said, uh, Justin Rigney, uh, wanted to talk to you about um, was your building search stuff. So um, East Hartford uh, has a lot of buildings. It's definitely not a rural area. <laughs> Um, so what, um, you taught it last year or this year, I guess it's been this year. I don't know. Just fucking COVID has just turned 2022 or one or whatever year this is. Yeah. It was this year. Yeah. yeah, It's just, I don't know. It all kind of like run together. It's mush. Um, what's the, so you taught, had a building search class there. So let's talk a little bit about how you do it and what, uh, what's going on. I mean, and then we'll kind of talk about how like the conventional means of doing it. Cause I see that all the damn time. So, so I've been to like, you know, I feel like I've been to, you know, a million of these seminars, you know, hits, you know, every, I've been just so many over the years. Right. And I felt like there was always a little bit of the lacking on building searches. And I had a lot of bites, uh, very quickly. Um, with my first dog with building searches. And then a lot of them, I feel like as time went on, got more and more serious, you know, it was like wanted party, you know, guns involved. So it ended up being a little bit of like a high risk thing. Right. And if you look at the building search, it's probably, I, well, it is, I, in my opinion, it is the most complex task that we ask of our dogs because we cannot control the environment that we're that we're in there's going to be things that we don't know about the building or the place we're searching um so what i wanted to do was just create a class where um i focused on the dog's hunt drive um i saw a lot of dogs in my first with my first dog at trainings where there was no ranging or you had the opposite effect where there was ranging and there was no searching <clears throat> And that was a problem. And then a lot of times the guys would have to go shoo them forward, you know, like, okay, so your dog's not ranging. Now you're stepping foot into the building. You know, you're telling the search, telling the search, find the man, whatever your command is, you're exposed. This is training, but I know this is how it's going in real life for you. 
Like, mm-hmm. h- how do you want to go on the, the road with that? And then as time goes on, you start getting into, you know, social media and YouTube and you watch these videos and you're like, your dog is not searching. He's not hunting. He's not hunting for man. He's, you know, that was a default to narcotics or, you know, that this, this dog is having avoidance to that room because of that floor. Like a lot of times guys aren't picking up on these subtle little things that are uh, occurring. And I, I wanted to create something where guys can stay behind cover. If they want to use a long line, they can, the system works with a long line. And if they don't, you don't have to, because, um, one of the things I have in my, my tool belt now, that I could put a long line on them and search with a long line, or I could do it without it, or I can do it intermittently, you know, take it on, take it off, take it on, take it off. And I think everybody should have that in their bag where their dog knows how to do a building search proficiently online and offline. Uh, I just think it's, it, it, it there's going to be situations for both. Um, but it, it just focuses on the hunt drive and, one of the things that uh, I keep having now um, as a trainer with people coming back to me is like, they're like, yo, Todd, my dog, you know, I felt like he was so much better at building searches. And now he's like regressing, like he's got floor issue, like his bites diminished on fucking building search. And so I'm like, okay, well, what do you guys got? What's your group doing? What's this, that, and the other thing? And I'm like, you did what? You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, I got to help you fix this. You know, like these dudes go, and try to find like the hardest spot to hide a guy and the most environment environmentally challenging bite they can do. And then they got nobody that's been to like a decoy course and they just stick some schmuck in the suit. Maybe he doesn't even have a dog yet. And they're like, all right, just scream when he bites you. And it's like, all right. So after he went across the ladder over lava. Yeah, exactly. In the dark. <laughs> <laughs> so you know some of the things they're not taking into consideration is on these deep finds and these crazy environmental bites is like you know there's there's several things that just occurred there that handlers should be aware of and you know one is like you know the actual building you're using the the course that your dog is going to take to the decoy are there going to be environmental challenges just doing that and then it's going to be you know where the bite occurs itself and then what the decoy does to your dog in that room. So you got, you got a lot of factors there that you need to make sure are going to go correctly um, in order to keep building and pushing your dog in the building search arena. Um, Because that's where a lot of guys are getting um, the regression from, you know, for example, I know there's a few, few guys that have approached me. They're used to going to a big training group. They're, they're on those slippery old fashioned hospital 12 by 12 tile floors that are all asbestos based or something. They go down, the dog alerts in the closet, decoy pops the closet. It's tight as can be in there. He gives them a shitty fucking bite. The door closes on the dog, hits them in the tail. Then they got to compel the dog off the bite because they don't have out. Then it's the next guy's turn goes. So the decoy stays in that tiny little room. They compel the dog off and then they run down the hallway. So you just gave the dog a shitty bite. He had some pain involved, and now you're telling him he lost the fight after compul- using compulsion to get him off the bite because you don't have an out, and you ran him out of the building. So you lost. And th- this is where guys are, are getting into trouble. So I took it a step back, and I, I'm a big fan of, uh, like, the USPCA-style boxes. And one, one, of the thing, one of the things I, I do 
Um, and again, I'm obsessed, obsessive compulsive with some of this shit, but like, um, I initially put them in a straight line. Okay. So I have all six boxes out there. All right. And then I put a blind up and the blind is like, you know, a, a six foot high wall by six foot wide wall, or you could use a cruiser, whatever the case is. So I, and they, I kind of basically have a hot start, which is the dog gets to see you and you get to, uh, depending on the dog, you may have to bait him into a little agitation, or if the dog gives you some sort of forward act of aggression, he barks you away. So now you're setting him in prey because, you know, the dog just is like, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to bring this fight to you. So he flees and then he gets pulled behind the um we started on on leash and it's basically those six boxes are just the imprinting for human odor okay so everybody who does narcotics right we use boxes or tubes right it's the same philosophy like why aren't we doing that for human odor when we do it for everything else you do it for explosive you do it for narcotic you do it for everything so let's do it for human odor and take away our environmental stressors because we're out here on a field now, right? The USPCA guys are always that, that little thing they do with their boxes. They they're fast as fuck. They check, they do all the things They look fancy and pretty, but the, the theory behind it that I agree with is that the dog learns to search independently, check, check, check until he knows. And then they even throw in stagnant odor, right? So we can get to that later on. So, you know, in case somebody moves from one part of the building to another, or if you're like, hey, you got a house around it and you pull some people out, you know, you get to go around the house of Jersey, someone in there, then you got stale odor, and then you got the one spot with the bleeding odor from the bad guy. So a lot of little things that teaches the dog. But um, the progression is to start straight line, hot starts where there's a visual and audible to kind of get the dog worked up. And then the handler goes down and runs down with the dog tapping on the boxes during the imprinting phase. And I teach, I make sure these guys have a, an alert, you know, vocal alert before, uh, before we do this sort of stuff. But, um, the beauty, the beauty of it is, is that it, the, the alert just sort of, it, it, it comes right away with these. Um, and then we go down to a warm start where like my Malinois that I train, um, cause I, I have a hodgepodge. Like I got dogs from like, shallow creek i still got dogs from castle i got connecticut canine i got black rock i i got dogs that were raised so i i get to see uh, i have some sport dogs that were you know bought at an early age so like i get a wide variety and um it's 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 just good that i'm able to make sure that it, it works for every single dog that has come from all different walks of life is what i'm saying and then the warm start is that the malinois will not get the a visual he'll just hear the audible so he's got to go right into using his nose and then maybe you get a weaker shepherd where you know he's not as confident he's still building him up and you want him to just see the uh the decoy who's going to run and flee and go get into one of the boxes and you know he gives him a little bark a little like yeah what what, what do you want and then bang right the decoy takes off so again we set him in prey like i just mentioned and then we go eventually to a warm or uh, to a, a cold start where the dog gets nothing and the handler can either stay behind cover and not have to move or you can put the line on them let them hit boxes one and two down them off whatever you want to use for your command and then you move up to box two and you repeat that until you get to the end of the box sixes or whatever wherever you put the guy and then of course the, the man who's hiding is always a variable so um 
they know to check every single box because the dogs, you know, if he misses one, then he's got to backtrack. So they learn to check the boxes and it translates directly into, um, you know, doors in the building. And, you know, in my opinion, uh, I took it a little, little further too. um, last couple of years, uh, we put one of the boxes up on, um, pallets. So now I'm teaching a high find before you ever get into so the dog knows that odor can come from high. Okay. So you don't have to waste an actual search with environmental and have the dog sort of figure it out there. He's like, Oh yeah, boom, this is a box. There's human odor coming from this. It's just coming from high. So that's taught as a precursor to entering the building and then find a spot where you can get one of these boxes into a hole in the ground and you get in it like a submarine. So now you taught him a low find same thing. You can run through your hot starts, cold starts, warm starts and cold starts. So now everything that, should be or can come across in real life in terms of odor flowing inside of a building, um, you've exposed them to it. And during these phases, you can sort of control uh, how high you want to build their hunt drive. So if you get some dogs that, you know, they come, they come to real quick and they start to get wicked vocal. They're like, yep, this is my game. I love it. I love it. And then it's like, okay, we're going to start working on capping. Now you're going to conserve your energy and we're going to work on capping here. So you, you've done pretty much everything on these boxes that can now get into your building searches with. And then with my building searches, I start with certain buildings in, in a certain sequence. Um, I also change those boxes all around different shapes. I put them pyramids, three by three. Um, you could teach directionals. I started uh, flirting with that a little bit where you maybe put four boxes on one side of the field in a straight line. And then you put two way off to the right. So if you want to teach your dog to start learning some directionals, if you're in a building, you want to pair that with an e-collar or something with some sort of um, combination with the e- e-collar, you can, you can start teaching them directionals. Uh, it, it all, and then of course it, it also helps the dogs out with area search, but uh, more importantly, it's for the building search. So, so real quick on the boxes, when I, when I got in canine, we were USPCA, uh, they still have boxes. We had, uh, and I, I'm a, I'm the same as you. I'm a big believer in it. The boxes we had at the time, um, had, they have a slit on, there was on say the South and North side, and it would, uh, depend on which side that we would run them on based on where the wind was going. Um, it, I think it did equate also to getting that sniff at the bottom seam of a door, I don't know about you. We were using it, and I still did for a long time using um, the to teach the bark equals bite, bark, 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 pop. But w- those those boxes were there when I got there. Then we had them for a long time. They were made of plywood, painted white. Uh, they they served great. You know, every year if you hadn't used them in a while, you had to get all the spiders out of them bitches first before oh. you before you went yeah. to use them. But what happened was what I really liked was ours was uh, a top load. So if we were using, if we were doing bark equals bite, sometimes we would just do civil stuff out of it, pop out, no equipment, you know, dicking with the dog. You had to trust the guy on the line that he, you know, everybody was on the same page because your timing's got to be good, but we would pop out of the top. Well, over time, those boxes got old and, you know, rotted and everything. And we spent a fudge load of money on the, uh, those Lexan or whatever you would call them, plastic boxes a lot of money and they are a um they they didn't hold up very well but they're a side load they had a little door on the side and so the 
decoys like squatted down in there. And if we were going to do the same thing, bark was bite, you're popping a little side door and then you have to feed because you're like squatted down. Your face is right there. I hate them. And maybe I just wasn't really doing it correctly or wasn't doing it. Um, the best I, I liked it better coming out of the top. How are you guys' box set up and what do you prefer? So actually the hometown foundation just built us new ones for the competition and they're made out of Azac and reinforced on the inside. They're, okay. they're like unreal. And they're like half inch thick too. Like they should be lasting us like 10 years. Like no joke. <laughs> the top. So the like dudes love pounds. it when you say, Hey, let's move these <laughs> yeah. into the that 400 pound box. Yeah. How many um, fucking pallets? Screw you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, I prefer the door only because that's a sight picture. That's they're going to see in the, in the real world. So, and, and here's the thing, like, you know, a couple, I'm going to name drop. So, and of course, everything we do is to build up to HRD, right? That's, that's my goal is that all the shit that we do in training is that like, if we get your asses out here, like you guys are going to have to really start to think of new shit, you know? So <laughs> that's the goal. But, um, so, so it's, it's, so, it's controlled. Like, yes, we do the door pop and then you got to be careful. Um, I, I got bit in an accident where I jumped in the box with some snow I kicked a lot of snow in between the door and the, where it was supposed to latch and uh, pepperoni ended up getting me and taking me in the bicep. But that there was snow was the factor that was not in a, taken into account. But um, we do it now where uh, we, we use Justin's power bike method, you know, dogs in harness. He's alerting, alerting, alerting. The handler's got to run down there. So it's a variable again. Like if we do box box one, the dog may only have to bark like one or two, one or two times because handler's right there, and then he's going to go into that power biting system, right? So you're inside the box, door pops, and then it's you know back pressure, you know pocket the man, bang, yes, good, and it you know it goes from there. So that that power biting system, we do it when we get into the buildings. If we have a pole in a room, or if we have a solid desk or something that's solid, like. We do a deep find, bang, decoy takes the initial. He just goes, grabs the, uh, um, like the line, and he hooks the dog up. So he's working the dog in there, and we're still running down the hallway. But now the dog has back pressure, and he's working it just like you would on a bite table. He's working it just like you're pushing out. And to me, that is, you know, that is going to get rid of, a, it, you're just going to get better. You're going to get, you're not going to have any errors and all this other shit that goes on with some of these guys that are coming back and they're saying, well, Hey, my dog was chewy and he came off the bike. Well, yeah, because you know, you're, you're, you're taking the foundation out and you're, you may be moving too fast or, you know, there's other variables that you can't account for because you're not there. And that's why decoys got to always be honest with the handlers. And I know it sucks taking bites. We got one guy right now that's uh, trying to get our next dog, Holly, Jason Holly. He's uh, a really good decoy now. And you know, he's one thing I tell him is you always got to be honest. Like if a dog, it has a weak grip or something. There's a reason why that dog had the weak grip on that bite. So tell us, so we may have to, you know, put him on the line that's tied out inside the room. So he gets bark, 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 or he's in a, you know, an open room behind a corner of a desk or tucked in real nice. There's going to be something there that is going to be the default. If the dog is starting to have an issue, it goes right back to what the dog knows and you're able to, re to, to recapture him without having him regress. I can tell you, uh, 
I've done a million building searches as the trainer, as a handler, and as the decoy. And I have never had a line already staged in the room. Uh, I like that idea. Um, you know, area searches too. You, yeah. Even area searches are even better just because you got trees. It's just like, yeah. you know, you can, yeah, it's you can easy, set up right? two or three of them and, you know, whatever one you get close to, it's fine. One of the, one of the scenarios that Ted and I have done all over the place could potentially, depending on how you deploy the dog, could your dog could be on the bite for about seven or eight minutes. And that's a, that's a, where we find that guys definitely don't do long-term bites, but that's where that shit would really work. Cause there's been times where the handler finally catches up to where his dog is and the dog's sitting next to the, to the decoy because he's just done two, three minutes is his maxed out time, which also then goes back to teaching and out the guys that are only letting their dogs bite for, you know, 10 seconds. Cause we got to run down the field and get them off the bite. Uh, or yeah, run we down the hall. To- we do some long bites and uh, don't be, if guys do work on long bites, if you ever see your dog just like lay down, but it's still on the bite and driving, don't take that as a weakness. Cause he's just conserving his energy to keep oh, the yeah. fight going. Um, yeah, I, I know some people I, yeah. are like, no laying down on the job. I'm like, look, dude, you no. do it. Yeah. You're yeah, telling my, me if you I'm don't on my fucking hands break. and knees, like it says the decoy and the dog decides to lay down. I'm like, Oh God. I just, you ever see both, we MM, both just settle MMA in and I'm fighters? like, every time he bites you know? me, like my soul leaves my body and I'm like, Oh my God. And, yeah. and yeah, I mean, that's what, you know, and, and when we do, when I have to decoy that one, if I have a dog that does that, I'll provide opposition. Like I'll lay down on my back if they're on an upper body bite and I'll put them in basically a guard and I'll provide opposition. I'll pull back with my legs and then I'll let them regrip and I'll reset and I'll just work their grip for, I don't know, six, seven minutes. I, just like that, if I have to, if I don't have a line in the room and, right. or whatever. But I mean, and it, that is something that, you know, when we're at these seminars that I, I, one of the things that makes those great is we generally have very good decoys there. And, and I tell people, I'm like, I can't see what's going on in the room. Like I need, like what happened? And I pointed to decoy. I'm like, tell him what happened. And, you know, he said, Oh, well this or that, or, you know, the dog did this or I, this happened. And I'm like, well, Okay. So like, I didn't know. I mean, (laughs) you got to tell me. Yeah, you definitely, you're right. You definitely touched on it. You, you, you gotta have the decoy be honest, not, not, not an asshole about it, but you know, be, be honest with it because sometimes in some of these scenario things that we're doing, the building search scenarios that we're doing is where we have found dogs that needed to be removed from the road where we have pulled the handler aside and said, look, dude, you seem like a real good guy, man. You're really trying here. This is not the dog like at all. And we'll, we'll talk to your brass for you. And and you probably know this already and we've had to step in, but it's usually in a building search type scenario. Um, the other thing I'm going to talk to you about, and this is, listen, I've been guilty of this too. And this all comes back from when <coughs> I started in canine is we have a large training group. We're trying to get guys through the scenarios. One of the biggest mistakes that we made over the years was it's training, stand in the middle of the hall, give your warnings and send your dog. The first time then that they do it from cover, oftentimes they see their dogs like turn back and look at them and shit the better, you know, come back to them or, or act weird. Um, was that something that you noticed early on or were you guys switched on from when you first started? Cause I can tell you, we were not. So you're saying when once you had to be behind cover, the dogs reacted differently? Yeah, because they never saw it. Because at training, all we did was stand in the middle of the hallway, give your warnings, send your dog. 
fuck around with your uh, leash, stand in the doorway. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, it's not an issue. In fact, um, we uh, we just I just added uh, this summer. So I went down and I spent some time with uh, Doug Wanamaker at Astro Canine down in Greenville. Um, wicked, like just the wealth of knowledge. Wicked tactical guy too. Um, but his his tactical uh, approach to the building search is good. And I just basically added an entire step about clearing the, so where we would stand to start the building search at that door, Mm -hmm. he's making you start, you know, if you're, if, if it's an entrance to a house and you have a tree that's 20 feet away, you're going to clear from that tree behind cover the doorway so that you don't go up to the doorway and get shot through, you know, the side of the house. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you're clearing that, that main entrance way. So we started doing that where, okay, my dog's on the line. It's 20 feet to that door. I got 30 feet in line here. Dog goes up, clears in now 10 feet, you know, eight feet into the house. Recall them. Nothing there, guys. Now we can go forward and start our building search. So it's a safer approach, I guess. You know what I mean? Um, but I had, I had never really thought of that because we were just weren't operating that way. So uh, when the situation dictates for something like that, that's another thing that we just have done. We just we just did it. Uh, I think September, October, or se- August, September. But it's now incorporated into our bag of tools, and I think um, a lot of this has to do with too um, when the dogs get so numb to constantly switching environments, um, always using different buildings, different floors, um, different sights, sounds, smells. I do all my in-services evening shift for the most part because I want a little bit of daylight and then mostly at night. And I want everything low light. Our tracking is nighttime. Our building searches are dark or low light for the most part That to the point where they just get numb to this shit. So if they see or sense something that's out of the ordinary. It's just, it, it makes no difference because everything we do is just constantly switching it up for them for the, in terms of the environment. So if we operate a little differently, hopefully that they're, they don't even pick up on it or they're just like, okay, well, this is just another building. Maybe it's something we do differently here. Yeah. One of the big mistakes guys make is, um, believing that in training, the training days, the building search is just a dog exercise. And so they just look, we did, we did a, um, a big, huge building scenario in, um, Albany, New York. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, we had guys that we told yeah. them there's three dudes in the building for sure. Three dudes. Uh-huh. They see the first guy take off. They send their dog and walk down the middle of the hallway. Good boy. Good boy. Down the middle of the hallway and then get Hawk smashed from behind by one of the two other guys. We told you there was three dudes in there, but they're like, yeah, but this is dog training. It's not for me. It's for the dog. And so then they don't believe that that will then translate when they're on the road, that they won't walk down the middle of the hall and that they won't be yelling good boy to the dog and fucking with their leash when they're in a building with potentially two other people in it. You know, I tell you what, we've caught, a ton of shit when that first when we first did that one and put it on fucking social media we caught a ton of shit for it for some not necessarily valid reasons and then um 
like kind of in the postscript that there's two exercises that we do with these seminars, that one that Eric is talking about. And there's one other one that we don't ever talk about that we do that have what I think I call singular learning events. And I can't count the number of times that Eric or myself or Ray or whoever has gotten inboxes or text messages or something. And they're like, I had to do this. And I thought about this scenario and I was like, hold on a second. <laughs> and I'm like, I, you know what, if, if having contact with one, and this is the argument that I make to people, if, if having contact like that with one scenario for anywhere from eight to 15 minutes six months later makes you evaluate the decisions that you're making in real time, then somebody did their job. And, you know, and they're like, I, I definitely remembered making that mistake. And it's a singular learning yeah, event. Singular learning. So, I mean, <laughs> I believe me, I, I yell at handlers all the time and I'm like, what are you doing? And there's very few times like we'll let them kind of like make some mistakes, but if it gets weird, I stop, like we'll stop it and we'll say, Hey, let's do this correctly. Like, it's obvious you don't know what's going on here or what the dog should be doing, what you should be doing. Like, let's stop and let's back up and let's do this correctly. And we'll make this a little easier and whatever else. So, um, yeah, that's, yeah, it's a good point that Eric brings up. When you started teaching this stuff, figuring it out teaching it and like, Hey man, we're going to do this. We're going to start from a position to cover from the beginning. Was there some growing pains from people that have been around for a while that are like, no, I listen, I'm just going to give my warnings and stand in the middle and send the dog. Cause I see that still all the time. Yeah. It's like some of my closest buddies too. They're going to hear this. It doesn't apply apply to them. And I'm like, (laughs) well, you know what I mean? I can't, I can't make you go home safe at the end of the day, but like, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, the, the, well, taking a step back, the, the first thing is, you know, when you start with the boxes, it's all about the dog, but it simplifies being in a building for the handler too. Right. Cause He's just using a box as a source of cover when you're doing it with the long lines. You know what I mean? Like you, you're, you're, you can't simplify it and dummy it down anymore. You're outdoors. You have six, actually five, because you're not going to hide behind the last one, right? You have five sources of cover. If you can't get it right and hide behind a box there, I think the department should probably pick a new handler. So there's a hundred other jobs in law enforcement. Go pick it up. Yeah. You know, I mean, (laughs) but so you get, you, you start there and then you break the actual search down to just, you know, the announcements, the search and the hunt, the alert and the fight. That's all the dog. The tactics are really the only thing you got to worry about on their end. So do you um, ever use that blind as a start spot for the handler? All the time. Yeah. All the time, because I, my, my personal preference, and I don't know how many, I'd have to go back and actually count, but if I had to guess, I bet you like maybe 40, 30, somewhere in there, I've been on building bites on building searches. So I know I want to stay where I'm comfortable. Do you know what I mean? So I want to, the blind is my comfort. That would be outside of a house or a building or the, where the breach was on a burglary. Right. So I want to stay there. And cause I know I'm safe. I got my, 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 my backups with me. I got guys all around the perimeter of the building. You know, that's where I want to be. We get, we put ourselves in the danger when we have to step in. 
And there's going to be times where you have to step in. We, like I said, we can't dictate, um, you know, where we search, but then there's other things we can use. Like you can put the line, take the line on, take the line off or, um, e-collar for me, page is a silent down. Um, I grabbed that from some of the military guys. So if I get into a large building and I'm behind cover and I'm not saying, you know, here, down plots, food, whatever I should, I should just page you because I now have eyesight of you. Yes, it sucks if you're exposed, but at least I know my dog is and he's not going to get hurt. I can move up because I know he already proficiently cleared this area. And then have you guys started um, one of the nice things that I like about the boxes and the so I have at my facility now I have a uh, little simunition shoot house and it's designed really for for the tactical guys and the canine guys, very basic stuff. And a lot of times the doors are offset so we can go left, right a pattern right and we do that with the boxes and things like that have you guys started uh tried dicking around with uh any of the laser directional stuff at all yeah i actually got a laser for one of the dogs in my group and i it's uh because we only see each other twice a month uh and we kind of got we just did a three-day tracking seminar last month um together i kind of got away from the um laser but i really want to finish it up with that dog because he's a great dog. He's got an incredible nose and what he likes to do. He's one of those dogs. That's like, you know, dad, I went down around the corner. I checked all my shit. Now I'm going to come back and look at you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And he, it's, it's not like the handlers talking to him or, or, you know, sucking them into like bring the back. The dog just likes to check in. And yeah. the problem is once he checks in, you know, he might find, he might know exactly what room it's in and maybe even come back. And that's my fear. Yeah. So I'd rather have the, the handler be able to direct him where to search in like a larger building and move forward so that the dog doesn't come back. And then I bet you any, any money, we'd, we'd probably be able to get away from the laser at that point, just because the dog is going to, you know, understand that I can move and do my thing and not have to always rely on looking back at dad. So. Yeah, after we, we did an episode here uh, about lasers, and um, I went and got the laser. That, who was the guest? Dad, you remember? Matt? Yeah. Matt yeah, it was. Yeah, right. My buddy from yeah. Charlotte. Um, Pulled what's, his name? what's his name? Matt, Matt, Yoder. Matt Yoder. He's on. Okay. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so we, we got a um, – I got the laser, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to start fucking with it. That thing's been sitting in the seat caddy in my van for now two years. Uh, I just, I got it. I need to get out and mess with it. And it's funny you say that. Um, my, my, so my fourth dog did a work loco, uh, Mal, you send him out. He would go to a certain distance. If there was no human odor, he checked really well. He would come back. Problem was then I would have to take ground for sure up to a, up to a, a cover point, And then he would go then. But once he got the human odor, he was not coming back. There was, we used to do it a lot in our impound lot because we had a lot of break-ins and stuff uh, in our impound lot. So we would train. He would go about five rows, would get no odor, come back to me. I'd see where he was, where he stopped. Me and back up, we would train. We'd move up, and then he would go out. And then once he got odor, he was gone, flying through the windows, doing all the biting. Same thing with buildings. Um, so that's the but, same thing that Milo will do. You know, if he, if he, if he gets the odor, he commits usually – but I'm curious that maybe he does maybe just 
things aren't flowing right in the building and he's really close and mm -hmm. just, you know, and then, you know, draft is going one way and then he comes back and then the next thing you know, you push up. So I'd rather have him check. Yeah. So the tough I'll part of that to too is, is as you're taking ground, you have to have group of guys with you that understand how to backfill rooms and check as you're going through. And that's, you don't, like you said, you don't get to work with your, your guys in training that much, your shift guys and stuff. So that part can be tough. Um, so anyways, I just looked, we're coming up on a couple hours here. Um, so anyways, at blue line this year, Ted and I will be instructing on our scenario based training. Todd will be there doing his building search class. Um, we will probably have a working dog radio booth. We'd love you to come over and hang out and, uh, yeah, we, everybody will be like, Hey, yeah, that's the building search guy. Let's get him a beer. Um, <laughs> there's, there's some shrapnel to catch at the working dog radio booth from, uh, more beers than we can drink. But um, yeah. so I, I noticed you are newly elected vice president of the uh, Connecticut Police Work Dog Association. Um, is that also a 501c3 that people donate to? Yes, we, we, we do take donations. Yes. How, how do they do that? Uh, that's a good question. So right now we just, we have a different, so we, we have a couple of different COVID really fucked everything up. So yep. we actually had a bunch of stuff on hold. Um, and the new board is basically working on something. If you go to our website, Connecticut police work dog association.com, uh, you can check a bunch of different stuff there and needs some stuff needs some updating. I don't even know if I'm on there yet, but, um, if you have any questions or, um, you know, and you, you can donate to CPWDA. It always goes back to all membership for, for training, like, you know, Eric and Ted, stuff like that. Bring guys that put on uh, great classes. We, we usually bring uh, several people out a year before COVID hit. So now we're just trying to get back on track with fundraising and all that stuff. But, um, and again, the other thing was hometown foundation, um, hometown That's foundation. Crazy. I never heard of it. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. Like if you go to their website and you look at like the 40 acres they got and all the polo matches and horses they got, and then the hundreds of Lamborghinis that I will never be able to afford just come rolling in and it's sick money, man. It's stuff I'll never even understand. So after this comes out, you're going to get, you'll get folks that are going to call you or want to get a hold of you to talk to you about maybe clarification or or maybe even, hey, I'm over in, in Buffalo. Do you, you think you come up and do something? Like on social media, I know you, you don't do a ton, but how would anyone how get a hold of you? Yeah, so um, I know I need to be better at social media. It's just, you know, it's tough right now because, you know, I work for the agency and I don't want to really go too crazy with it. So Yeah, that's tough. But, I mean, I'm under Facebook on my real name. I don't got no weird name, but it's my real name, Todd Mona. Um, we also have East Hartford police canine on Instagram. Uh, those are the two best ways. Uh, just message, send me a message on, on Facebook. I, I get back to everybody as, as soon as I can. Um, but yeah, I, the, the building search course that I got, I mean, obviously we were only able to touch on it. I got, it's a lot more in depth and, uh, um, I'd love to be, uh, I put on several classes for it. So if anybody that's close by or, you know, wants to, get interested in it. I can show you some videos and stuff and the formula and how we kind of works and real beneficial. I promise. Yeah. I'm looking at, um, 
yeah, up on Instagram, the East East Hartford uh, PDK9. So if you guys look that up, uh, I, I know we've been following each other on there for a while. Um, but yeah, the show, you, you guys do it right. Nobody's getting in trouble based on what you put in there. It's a slippery slope. Um, uh, I doubt we'll ever see you dancing with your dog on TikTok, which is pretty sweet. Uh, yeah. Um, no, we refrain. We ref- we we really only put you know limited limited exposure on that stuff. You know, I mean, we just did pork loin bites again last night. I mean, we get into some of the the real stuff. I mean, I could talk to you guys about it, but you know, I don't want it going out there, out there. Yeah, I got you. I got you. So, man, it was great having you on. It's a it's a long overdue, um, but it it it's nice to. Uh, Here's some of the stuff going on, busy agency. Uh, again, there's stories that we could have got into that we didn't get into just because we ran out of time. But there's another story of you dog getting another bite um, in during a gunfight. And so um, it's it's a wild career. And it sounds like you still got um, a lot going on. So the dog real quick, the dog that's the puppy that's you're raising up with um, in the back of the cruiser now, is that going to be for you? Uh, we're, so right now, Steve, Steve's our senior handler. Actually, his dog Hades was the male. He actually just passed away last week with cancer, but he was 13, 13, <clears throat> did about 11 years on the road. Jeez. Um, yeah, I think he had close to 30 bites. So we did pretty well. Steve, Steve did a good job with him for sure. Um, but we're, we're working on, uh, being able to finish our careers with the dog. So if we have to repurpose one from him to us, that's the goal. Um, we have a good, really good candidate lined up if we don't, um, but we're hoping to. Yeah. You still got some years left in, in the boy in your car. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like I said, my, I got some young kids, so I, I got a long way to go before I can quit. <laughs> in fact, I got to figure out something to do after this. So. I started young with kids just to get it out of the way. So I just never started. Yeah. So <laughs> <mine are just, laughs> there you go. I have nieces. It's cool. <laughs> Ted, Ted, where about you? How can people find you? Uh, Ted underscore summers on Instagram. Um, Facebook is Ted stickles. So you can find me there. Uh, Instagram is work. Facebook is not. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's that. Um, Torchlight K9, letter K number nine, Torchlight Pets. Uh, if you want to watch me train doodles, and uh, we just sent two Pomeranians home that live together, that was fun. They look like angry cotton balls. Um, and I have a sharp hay right now, um, for an attorney here in town, the defense attorney who, uh, the dog is gnarly, <laughs> man, he's a dick. Uh, he is funky for sure. Um, and then HRD Police K9, and then of course, working underscore dog underscore radio. Uh, I think we're going to do a, because COVID last year, we didn't do it, but I think we're going to do a uh, Christmas thing this year. Um, I don't know. By the time this, uh, this uploads, we'll have an answer to that. But if we do, it'll be there and on the Facebook and uh, on the Patreon too. So that's where um, I'll learn about it because yeah. I, <laughs> exactly. I, so Ted, I have no say in any of that. No, I just tell jokes and drink beer. Um, mm-hmm. So <laughs> Uh, and you are where Venice Canine? Yeah, Venice Canine on Instagram. Um, Ridgeside Canine Ohio on Facebook is the pet site. Here's the funny thing so I was just down in Texas for Thanksgiving. My wife and daughter, we flew down there to see my son and spend Thanksgiving with him. It's going to be a new tradition going somewhere different every year. 
we do this grocery store down there offers this whole thing where we we pre-ordered our Thanksgiving meal, went yeah. on on Thursday, picked it up. It's all cooked. Dude, it was the it was really good. I loved it. I think we were on to something. But yeah. while we were gone on Friday, uh Amanda, who's our manager, um, she had to manage the the daycare and we were doing holiday pictures. We brought a photographer in and had a backdrop and uh. fake snow and all this other shit, dude. <laughs> I was watching the surveillance cameras watch and i'm like i am so happy that i am not there (laughs) yeah it yes it was it was a four or five person operation i was like one we had people coming in that weren't at daycare that day we had random people coming in it was absolute insanity our our the pet side of my business has become a daycare that offers training instead of a training company that has daycare when we move locations it exploded to where I just signed a lease on another building across the parking lot to move the, to move the training over there because the uh, daycare has to expand. And um, yeah. So don't go, don't go to that page and look at it. Just, just go to Van Eskane on Instagram <laughs> and, uh, and, check, and check us out. So Todd, yeah, anyways, man, thanks for coming yeah. on. Uh, if I don't, if I, we're going to try to get over to see David over in Connecticut and he wants me to come over and see the place and talk some business stuff with them. And, um, maybe, you know, start doing some collab, but I'd like to try to get over there before blue line, but it might not happen. So you just let me know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fun. I just want to say thank you guys again, very much. Um, You've had some incredible people on your your shows, and I'm incredibly honored to be asked to be a part of it. And hopefully, I could see you guys before Blue Line. If not, yep. we'll be drinking beers. Yeah, this is going to oh, be yeah. a, a well received episode. I can already yeah. tell we we have a pretty good gauge as as we're doing the interview how we think it's going to be received. This will be a real good one. So don't be surprised if we have you come back on. So yeah, yeah, for oh, sure. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Have a good night, everybody. Take care. You got your reasons. I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young now. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E. Blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Duck Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.